Welcome back, Looney listeners. You are here for another Isla Ra Books uh, interview, and uh, I am here on the Cosmic Raft, sailing through the overvoid here. I've got Anubis behind me. Yeah, he doesn't really say much. Um, and we're traversing the cosmos uh, to pick up our special guest. Uh, so, yep, if you're keen, uh, have a look at our links. Uh, if not, uh, sit back and be surprised. So, strap in, sit back, and get your conchu on. Yes, loony listeners, welcome back. Um, I'm up here in space. It is quite amazing. Um, You know, I can see, you know, red dwarfs and suns and stars. It's brilliant. Anubis here, he's a bit of a... um, He's a bit of a boring character there's not much to talk to so i'm on my way actually to pick up our special guest and our special guest tonight is none other than scott weatherly he is a podcaster um running the helm at uh at 20th century geek and uh and we're picking him up now he actually is also a beyonder (laughs) um so uh yeah so anubis and i i think i see in the distance i think scott's on his way there's like a like a shining light there, and uh, oh, yeah, that is Scott. Hey, Scott. Hi, how are you? How you doing? You're right. It's uh, <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit creepy around there, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> yes. I've seen the, the the stuff I've seen around here. It's, it's it's yeah. It's all a bit uh, Jack Kirby over there. So I'll be careful with that. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad you've brought your your chatty pal with you. Cause, you know. Well, he's good of a backseat passenger. Well, true. He's a bit rubbish, actually. I much prefer to talk to you. (laughs) Uh, Look, I really like your your white jumpsuit. That's looking pretty good. Um, And uh, I'd go retro. I thought I'd go a bit Book Rogers. uh, (laughs) I left Tweaky at home, but I thought I'd go a bit Book Rogers. And and you've been um, you've been on Battle World and such, doing your secret warsy sorts of things. That's it. That's it. I've been trying all kinds of things. I've had a symbiont. I've tried. Uh, I've been taken on different dimensions. It's been fantastic. It's been. It's been a hell of a trip. Um, I've I've come to you, but I believe that you um, spoke to Conchu earlier about coming onto the show. I did. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was all right about it. He seemed okay. I think to sort of share the love, the Conchu love. So, Scott, we have this podcast about Moonlight. I'm wondering if you're pretty keen to come on to the show. Oh, can't you? It'd be amazing. It'd be, it'd be appreciated if you just let me on. I think uh, I've seen what they do on the Isle of Ra. I want to share the love of the books. And I think uh, walking walking in the moonlight with Conchu uh, and defending the people of the night would be amazing. Okay, well, I'll get my lackey, High Priest of Conchu Ray, to get in touch with you. Just between you and me, he's a bit of a, a bit of a stooge, but uh, but he'll get you there. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll bring along Anubis uh, with the raft. Oh, I'd be greatly appreciate it. I think I've heard Ray's a great bloke, but you know, each to their own. I'm sure you've got your own opinion. You are a god, after all. And uh, uh, I think it'd be fantastic. Thanks for thanks for letting me come along. So be it.
well, like, you know, just make some room here on the raft, um, sit yourself down, and um, we've just got a little while to go, but, um, mm. you, you know, at, while we're killing time, and, and since Anubis is, is no good, uh, yeah, I thought it'd be really great to have you on the show, uh, and really, actually, number one, to get uh, to know you a bit more as well, you are um, a loony as well in our, in our Facebook group, uh, so this is I all, am. yeah, this is all about, uh, well, sorry? <coughs> I was going to say actually the the, the Looney Group mm-hmm. uh, and and the podcast you're doing you're doing the God's work the God being Conshu obviously <laughs> yes uh, he's, he's given his authority for me to be here today um, and uh, yeah I've been a, a, a Moon Knight fan for a long long time so to find a podcast dedicated to it and such a, a, a committed and uh, friendly group of people on social media is fantastic so you're doing a great job you guys oh thank you very much Scott and it's it's people like you as well and, and it's just yeah the, the friendly, friendliness and openness of a lot of the loonies yeah really has made the group so uh, yeah I, I share your sentiments exactly with, with all the loonies that have come and joined uh, yeah so so you're here uh, you're with us now and we want to know a bit more about you as a fellow loony but we also want to know I guess a bit of history take it almost as a as a spotlight on yourself Scott so um, what I first always kick off these interviews with is um, how did you first get into to comics like what was your earliest memory like how old were you what was the first issue picked up well it's, it's weird for me because I think comics has, has almost always been like part of my life mm-hmm. um, without almost not knowing it uh, when I was a little you know like a, a wee lad um, my grandparents uh, my Scottish grandparents uh, used to collect um, or used to read some Scottish books from back in their childhood mm-hmm. um, I can't remember what they're called now but they were just there so I'd sort of remember flicking through them before I could read and seeing the pictures and that sort of thing and always wanting to be able to know what the stories are mm-hmm. um, and then as I got a bit older being you know a Brit um, I got the Beano and the Dandy <clears throat> and then in the newspapers, there's the, you know the little, um, the daily shorts, yeah, and they were all kinds of different things. Hager the horrible, um, you know, uh, handicap, yeah. and all those kinds of things. Garfield. So I've always aware of them, but I didn't realise I was reading comics really until. So I always thought that was what comics were. Yeah. Um, you know, it was that sort of thing. And it was I, I do vividly remember though. The awakening into sort of more modern comics. Um, I was about I was about eleven, probably eleven, ten, eleven, and um, it was a school summer holidays. I was going to go on a school tri- uh, not school trip. I was going on a trip with with uh, my nan and mm. my grandparents, and she gave me some money and said, you know, go buy yourself a magazine or a comic or something for for the journey. And I went in expecting to buy some naff stuff like Looking or uh, the Beano or something, something very late eighties, early nineties, right. And, and shuffling through the thing, there was a cover, uh, it was bright orange, um, with a circle on it, and bursting through the circle was Judge Dredd oh, on, cool. his, on his lawn, and it was amazing, on his lawmaster uh, motorcycle. And I was just like, what's that? Why, why don't I know what that is? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I picked it up, and it was um, back, in, back in the day, they used to reprint the early Judge Dredd stories, uh, and they were called the... the the complete Judge Dread. So there were the black and white newsprint editions, and it was um, I picked up. I couldn't tell you what issue it was now, but it was it was a, a central part of uh, the Judge Dread story called the Cursed Earth Saga, right? Which is uh, Judge Dread and some of his fellow judges and some other uh, members, a punk, 
uh, who has hand grenades for earrings, <laughs> and they eventually pick up, yeah, and they pick up an alien called Tweaky who eats rocks, who's right. a genius. Uh, but they're basically they're, tr- they're trying to transport medicine from Mega City One to uh, Tech City um, to save them, and it was it was amazing. I was blown away. Th- this is like a, a massive departure from uh, your Hagar the Horrible and and Garfield. Oh, so what yeah. what was it like when you were growing up? Were you into like uh, Saturday morning cartoons or anything like that? I'm just trying to find out. Um, there must have been some seed in there for you to kind of look towards, say, a Judge Shred or a superhero comic. Was there anything in there, like video games maybe, or, or, or movies? Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, no, movies has always been a big thing for me. And there mm-hmm. were Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, um, going back through the 80s, I was a massive Ghostbusters fan <laughs> of the film, yeah. uh, and then of the cartoon, and there was He-Man, Transformers. Was that the um, the real Ghostbusters, which, you know, was slightly different? Yeah, from, yeah, 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 that was good. Hmm. <laughs> So I'm a kid of the '80s. Like, you know, I was I was raised on those basically animated uh, toy commercials. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, that funding by the Mattel or whatever. So I was big into those sort of things. He-Man, Trans- Transformers, and Ghostbusters were like were my jam. Yeah. Uh, when I was a real kid, and uh, again, I knew there were cartoons. I knew there were toys, mm-hmm. um, and there was all that thing about oh yeah, you know, these are the heroes and these are the villains and that sort of thing. Mm. And I know I wasn't. I, I wasn't getting that from uh, the Beano. You know, I wasn't really getting it. They were like, the Beano is very much a... Yeah, what is a Beano? It's a, so the Beano and the Dandy really are kids' comedy magazines or comedy comics. Uh-huh. Um, and you'd have characters like the uh, the British version of Dennis the Menace. Ah, okay. um, you'd, you'd have uh, the Bash Street Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Dandy, you'd have Desperate Dan, who was like a, a huge cowboy. He would eat these massive cow pies and they were all very very silly and um, the art was was very caricature it was very cartoony yeah. they were great they were great as kids but it wasn't sort of like yeah it wasn't feeding that um, like you say the superhero or yeah. the hero villain and look and nothing kind of thing yeah nothing to take away from those sorts of uh, comics and, and cartoon uh, as you're saying, kind of kind of simplified um, artworks because you know, I mean, people are, are massive fans of them even in, into um, adulthood. But um, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'd imagine there's a, a level of, um, I guess, development and sophistication growing up. Like your, your tastes would have changed, as you're saying, when you hit 11 and 12, as you're entering the the teenage years, uh, wanting something a bit more, you know, a bit more grit, um, a bit more angsty, mm. which I can imagine Judge Dredd would be exactly, you know. Uh, would fall exactly on your lap for that sort of stuff. Oh, and you're, you're spot on, and that's exactly what it was. It was. Like, mm-hmm. I, I still think. I mean, even now, like, you can look back at certain those the the art in particular of um, like the Beano and the Dandy, mm-hmm. and it should it shouldn't be underrated. It is yeah. it is fantastic. People will probably dismiss it as oh, it's a kids' comic and that's it. But no, no, those artists. I couldn't name any, unfortunately, but they were fantastic. Right. <clears throat> and, and actually, the great thing is, if, when we get onto one of the four books, mm-hmm. you'll, I'll, there, there is a link. There's a weird little satirical link that I'll, we'll, we'll discuss later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I think I think I know what you're alluding to, but um, loonies, we will get to that. Uh, as mentioned, uh, also just before we get into it, um, that later on. Uh, in our episode summary, you'll see uh, an encrypted link to it. So uh, I didn't want to spoil anything for people that wanted to come in fresh, Scott, and just 
discover your mm. four books. But if you do want to pre-read them beforehand in, in anticipation for this episode, uh, just click the link and they should take you to links to the relevant issues that Scott has has chosen for his ILRA books, which is a very... Um, uh, we've talked about this um, just online, Scott. It's a very difficult task, and I've heard that from a lot of people. A challenging but a rewarding one, I imagine. It is. It's, it's, it's definitely a difficult task to pick four issues or four single books. Yeah. But like you say, it, it really makes you think. And uh, it actually made me go back and read quite a few things. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. what about this? What about that? So... Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good fun, actually. And and, and I think it's it's great as well. Um, I mean, I think I've said this before early on in the early interviews. Uh, everyone's got different tastes, and what um, mm. hopefully uh, some listeners take away from this is uh, discovering like new issues or, or new series that that they wouldn't have um, read previously. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting to do, and it's always fun to uh, to find out what people's four books would be. Um, yeah, so going on with a with a. The comic um, aspect of it, Scott. Um, when you did, so do you still collect Judge Dread now, or um, yeah, are you? I mean, how does that factor into like um, the big two, like Marvel and DC, or or are you an independent or Image person? What's what's a what's your flavour? No, uh, it sort of it it, it switches, it swings swings in sort of roundabouts. Really, mm-hmm. um, at the moment, I'd say I'm more heavily DC. Yep, um, I'm, I'm loving what they're doing with Rebirth. Um, and um, I've, I've enjoyed the sort of the more the fun they've had with some of the characters. The mm-hmm. you know the uh, the last run of Superman was fantastic. Yeah, um, there's been some great stuff. Um, but I'm now looking forward to some of the stuff that's in, in the future coming up. I mean, DC is really um, yeah. I think pushing the boat out. They've got the, um, the the Black Label coming out. They've got stuff, so they're actually doing sort of Elseworld oh, or external yes. stories. Yep, I've heard of uh, that. They've got like Batman. Yes, they've got Batman Damned, which is Batman and John Constantine teaming up, oh, which cool. is coming out. And they've got some others as well that sort of like, you know, but they've got, and that's like, um, got Lieber Mayo on the art, and I think he's, yeah. he's a fantastic artist. Oh, fantastic. So there's books like that. They're bringing back the Sandman universe. Yes. That, with a series of books. And that's endorsed by Gaiman as well. He's, he's in there some capacity, right? Yes. I don't think he's writing it, but he's doing something. He's overlooking it or something. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah it's almost like a. Um, if you were to take a, a TV analogy, he's almost going to be like a showrunner, I yep. think, like you know, a chief mm-hmm. story uh, editor. So, yeah, so he's still there. He's still he, it's still his world, which is going to be fantastic. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. And and, um, and what do you think of? Um, I know D- I'm I'm not very well versed in DC. You'll have to forgive me, Scott. But um, what <sighs> what do you think of the? Um, they released a whole slew of new characters, like and new titles. Like, what do you think? Are they? Is that an exciting thing or? Um, are there a lot of hits and misses? What, what, what's your take on it? It was, de- it was definitely hits and misses. I, th- mm-hmm. I think the problem, the problem they hit, and it was obvious from the, the, the sort of the just the characters that they created were, as far as I'm concerned, I think the superhero genre has, has, has almost run dry mm-hmm. in many respects. Yeah. Um, you, you get a lot of legacy characters, and that's not to say there aren't new characters to do, mm-hmm. but you get a lot of repeats. I mean. Yeah, you know, um, I'm a. Ma- I, I really like some of the legacy characters that they've created in the last couple of years. Everything from Miss Marvel, yeah, uh, you know, Kamala Khan be, to yeah. um, Miles Morales. Yeah, they're great, and they're bringing in new people, and I quite enjoy their stories. Yeah, but it, it's still Miss Marvel. It's still Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I find Kamala Khan. I mean, she's she's really kind of come out of the gates, hasn't she? And I think she'll be mm. very like she she will be. 
you know, years from now you look back and, and she'll be well entrenched in the whole canon, obviously, of Marvel. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's great what G. Willow Wilson has done with um, with Miss Marvel. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, there, there still is a leaning heavily on the legacy characters and people do, like, you know... You, you see on the internet, you know, the internet's just uh, a sea of, you know, opinion and, and people... Um, you know, have their opinions about uh, keeping, mm. keeping things pure, and and um, and others. You know, others uh, champion uh, diversity and such, which is good. And so, I think the DC uh, those new titles. I think you're mentioning that they're taking a bold steps with stuff. I think by introducing these characters is fantastic. It is. It's good. I mean, the thing is, if you were to look at them, the, the set that they've created, mm-hmm. the the only and I wouldn't say it's an issue because. They're there for a reason, but yeah. you look at them in the characters. There is a counterpart to them. So there was a I think there's a character called Sideways, yeah. who, for all intents and purposes, although he doesn't have Spider-Man's powers, is the, is a Peter Parker Spider-Man type character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another one that's basically the Hulk. The Hulk, yeah. You know, um, he has one hour feet, to, to to change into the Hulk or something, or, or is it is it called Damage or something? Or I can't remember. Damage. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. There's Silencer, which is basically a female. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, assassin, assassin, you know, yeah. so she's a lot. So th- there's very, they're all of a, of a sort of a type, you know. They've all got, they've all got a, a type. But the thing I always remember is every single issue of a comic could be somebody's first comic. Yes. And if those new, if those new characters appeal to someone because of the design or because of the the the, the, the power set they have mm-hmm. or just whatever. If those new characters launch out at somebody, just like that Judge Dredd issue launched out at me, yeah. then that is wonderful. That's that's fantastic. So I might not read them. They may not appeal to me, but I'm 36. They're not supposed to appeal to me. <laughs> yeah, true. There's a, there's a wide demographic. Um, and, exactly. Yeah. So they they will appeal to somebody, and I think that's what's that's why I'm so pleased that they're doing these things and taking these these. Um, bold steps and trying new things mm, yeah w- would you say um, I've heard it and again I can't really speak to it because I, I don't collect many DC titles uh, you, you do collect a, a, a fair amount of Marvel as well I'm assuming yeah I get a few I mean yeah. you know the up and down up and down obviously Moon Knight of course of um, course <laughs> Uh, uh, but 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 would how would you how would camp. you how would you say how would you say both of them are uh, faring against each other? Would say DC's storytelling wise and and building a universe. How are they going? Um, I've heard DC are doing better. I've heard Marvel are um, uh, still kind of ahead in that in that regards. What's your take? Again, it's sort of I th- I think it's almost. Um... I wouldn't say unfair to make the comparison because they mm. are both they're both That's comic true. worlds. Yeah. But they, they do have different directions. And I think if you were to consider them as a, a unified world, mm. um, I think they both work. They both work in fantastic ways. Yeah. In the fact that, like, with the Marvel the, the Marvel universe, like, you can read a Captain America book and you're going to get Cap's, um, you know, subsidiary of characters, Bucky, uh, you know, Sharon Carter, uh, Falcon, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then you're also probably going to read the Spider-Man book, and you're going to get some of your his subsidiary characters. But then you will get crossovers, yeah. so you know it's a it's a linked universe. Yeah. Um, the problem I have with these, with the problem I have with Marvel at times is I, I do think, and I think this comes to their management, mm-hmm. is that they have a tendency to talk crap. <laughs> that they go, oh no, we're not going to do a big event for the next eighteen yes. months. 
Oh, uh, apart from this Infinity Wars thing and, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and this Spider Verse thing, we're going to do. It's, it is that they they can't help themselves. I I do uh, yeah I do distinctly remember them announcing that, and then not long after you had Secret <clears throat> Empire, I think it was, and you know it's not an event, it. but you know it, it is. <laughs> I mean yeah yeah yeah. yeah. They, they almost they almost tried to be sneaky by saying we're not having like a massive summer event, yeah. but we're going to have individual character events, and it was just like oh yeah, stop it yeah yeah you're driving me away yeah look it, um it, it, it's um. It's cool. It's difficult. Uh, look, I try not to obviously compare them because you know each in their own, each to their own, and and they're both they both are, are great universes in their own right. But it's only I kind of find myself going back again and again because you get these parallels which happen. Like case in point is the um, the return of uh, say if you take um, Jason Aaron's Avengers. Uh, released mm. around the same time as the the new Justice League or No Justice, I think it was, um, and it's a kind of like a. And I read an article, and it was really cool because it was kind of like they both were coming out about the same time, both you know showcasing these big you know top tier superhero teams. Um, DC were going the way that Marvel were trying to get out of, so DC were mm. were um, with that No Justice. Thing, they've broken up the Justice League into smaller bands, smaller little teams, which uh, which Marvel did previously with the Avengers. Like you had the US Avengers, you had West Coast Avengers, you yes. had Nor- and and now Marvel are trying to consolidate all that and just go back to grassroots and have your yeah your Avengers led by Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor, which we see in the Jason Aaron run. So it's always hard to kind of not make the comparisons because you know from time to time they do kind of cross. Oh, it's true. It's a mm. wheel. I mean, the whole thing's cyclical. Mm. They're just at different points on that wheel. Yeah. Um, and this will happen again. Like the Avengers will split up yeah. again in the future, and you'll, you again, you know, you'll get the West. The West Coast Avengers is a is a, a current book. Yes. And you probably will get those things again. Yeah. You know, um, and it's they say it just goes round and round. And sometimes I want them, and sometimes I don't. And so yeah. it's great. But the thing, the thing I would say is, the, the big difference, and it, you know. Uh, more intellectual and, and better versed people than me have talked about it is the fact that really the big difference is that um, Marvel is it's a lived in universe mm-hmm. they also they're, they're real people that have come across their powers for the most part through either experimentation yes. or accident yes. or intervention mm-hmm. so it ends up being like regular people dealing so when you have Galactus you know um trying to eat the world <laughs> don't speak too loudly him. we're in the cosmos yeah. we don't want to <laughs> just in, yeah, yeah don't tip him off yeah. <laughs> but when you have those sort of events yeah. and you have sort of like Captain America or the Fantastic Four or you know um, some of those characters even like you say uh, Black Widow will be in there mm-hmm. you're sort of like okay that's a real person that's, that's just a person with a shotgun or yeah. up against this intergalactic being Yeah, uh, which is why I think when you look back at things like Infinity War it stands up well because it's it's sort of regular-ish, you know, with superpowers. Regular people trying to stand up to an intergalactic being. Yeah. But then when you go to the DC universe, they are literal gods. Mm, yes. You know, like D, you know, Superman is is an is that Zeus character? He is the sun god. He is yeah. the ultimate being. You know. Mm-hmm. Then you have Wonder Woman, who's the female equivalent. Yeah. And, you, and it goes on and on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it seems almost like oh, if they did, they just beat the hell out of Clark, yeah. it wouldn't seem a problem. Yeah, there was a really, there's a really good, um, I think, three part documentary. It's, it's hosted by uh, Lee Shriver. He's the guy that played mm. Sabretooth um, in the Wolverine mm. films. Have you seen that? No, no. Oh. But it's, I, I think 
Oh, I've heard of it. I think I know what you're saying. It's say, really, it's really good. It, it basically it harks, um, it echoes what you say basically, uh, and and the big difference between DC and Marvel when DC kind of broke out into the greater market was that it had these flawless, uh, you know, flawless superheroes. They were kind of seen. Uh, apart from from the human race and then marvel came along and you had peter parker dealing with you know relationships and and getting through high school and uh you, you know you had the fan, fantastic floor four which was more family oriented and had the family mm. dynamics and yeah and that, that was one thing that i found really interesting um initially at least i'm not sure how, again how dc are now it, i'm sure it's kind of everything's leveled out a little bit more but um, back in the day, yeah, Mar- it's definitely yeah. It's, it's interesting. You say that because they have they've tried to bring them down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously with Superman, he's now got a family. He's, he's you know Lois Lane. You've got Jonathan Kent, and mm-hmm. it's, it's it brings a new dynamic to that to that world. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, when in back in the day, I mean, just to comment on something in a moment, but back in the day, if you were to take 10, 15 years ago, uh, Batman and Superman, like you say, being you know Zeus and Hades or whatever, being that those sort of like couldn't be beaten kind of characters mm-hmm. um, it made they were, they were on their own they, were, they, were, they had like you know again they're subsidiary characters mm-hmm. but they were very much standalone. now they are fathers yes you know they yeah. are literal fathers so it changes the dynamic for the responsibility so all of a sudden Superman flying across the cosmos or flying around Metropolis or, or the US or the world yeah. you know putting out putting out fires and you know saving cats from trees or whatever yeah it, he's now like, well, I can't do that because I've got to be home. Yeah, for a certain, a certain time. More so consideration. It, 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 yeah, yeah. So it does make the stories different now. He can't mm-hmm. just go off to his forces of solitude and mope about it or whatever. Yeah. Um, th- th- there was one one of the early, actually, um, I think officially the first um, Isla Ra kind of books we had with Sons of the Dragon, Connor from the Iron Fist podcast. Uh, one of his uh, Isla Ra books was uh, a Superman one. Uh, which it was, um, it was the one where they tried to really kind of ground all the heroes. So Superman, you know, was buying 200 t-shirts because he knew that they'd break all the time, and he was wearing jeans and didn't have a cape. And I found that interesting how they they really kind of changed. Yeah. yeah. Did you read that or? I did. There was the New Fifty Two. Yeah. So they did that in sort of Superman in the Action Comics in, in the New Fifty Two, and it was interesting that. They tried to reduce his power set yeah. to make him more more appealing. But I mean, you you have to remember a big part of these characters uh, especially the DC ones is they, they're actually a representation of the time they were created mm, yeah um, so w- when you look at the you know Superman uh, Batman Wonder Woman those characters Captain Marvel is another example yeah um, they're a representation of a, a period in time where they, they were created out of the Great Depression yeah you know so in the thir- in the 30s America was in a terrible terrible state and you've got the initial pulp characters like, you know, uh, Doc Savage, the Shadow, mm-hmm. uh, the Avenger, the Spider. And they were great because they were quite clear cut. They were either heroes mm-hmm. or they were quite, you know, like Doc Savage, um, who, you know, the Man of Bronze. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the Shadow, you know, who would be in literally a figure of fear in the shadows. So I wonder where the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight came from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they were growing out of that. So they grew out of that. Yeah. Um, uh, and people's need for clean cut mm-hmm. godlike superheroes they needed that that's why they took off so much yeah um, but though 30 years later 20 20 30 years later like I say they were they were a bit more of a pastiche yes and when Stan Lee takes on um, the the initiative to, to to rebuild Marvel characters and, and you know take on that challenge mm. he looks out his window and sees a very very different world mm. and 
it sees a world that's now split on social differences and racial differences and you know yeah. it, 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 it's that sort of thing so he like you say you have those characters like the X-Men that are representation yeah. of um, the civil rights movement yes. and all that kind of thing so it's, it's great to see that actually they might be balancing out but superheroes can be uh, a great barometer of what's going on in society. Oh, look, look uh, Scott, you should really have a look at this um, this three-part documentary. A part of me says... I'm going to find it. Yeah, part of me says... I think it's on, it's on Netflix, I think, or, or um, I think it's oh. on Netflix, I think. Uh, but actually, another part of me says you don't need to because you, you are pretty much summing up what um, they're saying, which is actually absolutely brilliant. So that's really, really good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, you're absolutely right. And another thing that you actually touched upon was Stan Lee... He based he made everything more realistic. He based everything in New York, whereas Gotham mm. and Metropolis are you know fictitious places. Uh, we have Stanley just basing all his heroes in a real city, and and I think that made a big difference as well, as well as all the um the the uh, the, yeah, the zeitgeist that the. the um, the period that things were in as well so um yeah yeah fa- fantastic stuff look uh speaking of <laughs> speaking of comics i'm a king of the segue here uh scott <laughs> um another question i do want to ask as well um and i do find this fascinating and, and i'd like to ask all future guests as well uh have you got a local comic book store by any chance as well i did have actually I, it's okay. until I think it was probably about, it closed down last November, which was a real, ah. you know, bit of a not really. But on my part, I've had them on, the two guys uh, that ran it, um, Matt and J-Man, mm-hmm. uh, have been on my podcast on a number of occasions. Oh, fantastic. Talk about different things. And they've actually started their own podcast now. Oh. Um, they, they now do a podcast called Toon Jam, and they look at, they discuss 90s uh, cartoons. Oh, excellent. How cool so, is that? Yeah. That's awesome. It's really, yeah, it's really good. What? Well, so, uh, yep, sorry. Come on. Oh no, I was, about, I was about to say, look, um, we're definitely going to touch upon podcasting next as well. But say, for instance, that, that store, um, um, can you give it a shout? So it's still running, right, the store? Has, no, as you say, no, closed down. Closed, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, so I have to get mine. Mine's an online thing now, unfortunately. Uh, okay, no worries. Well, I was going to, yeah, okay. I was going to uh, ask you to describe the, the, the layout of the store and stuff because it's, it always interests me, at least, as, as to how these comic book stores are all over the world but um yeah okay mm. so mostly online um who do you do online um purchasing from uh forbidden planet ah um, that's the big yeah awesomely big comic book store in london right yes yeah, yes yeah. they've got them dotted they've got them dotted all over the country oh okay um, right in, in, in fact it was um so there is uh, i hail from coventry mm-hmm. in, in in england and they've got a, a forbidden planet there yeah <clears throat> and that's a big part of my sort of my comic uh, origin story. Right. Um, was like I say, once I'd sort of got past, or well, once I was hooked on Judge Dredd in 2000 AD, so all the characters that uh, um, that contains. So 2000 AD, for those that don't know, is a British, uh, like, it's a sci fi and horror anthology comic. Mm hmm. Um, so each issue is a collection of probably about five or six stories, and each story is about eight pages. They have like little chapters, mm-hmm. um, written and drawn by different people. Weekly comic, been going since 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, still going strong. And uh, so I was on that, getting that from my news agents, and uh, it was just in a conversation, I think, at school. Someone mentioned, um, oh, well, you know, there's a there's a comic shop in town. Mm-hmm. And again, I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, 
And uh, yeah, I remember going to town and going to Forbidden Planet for the first time and just walking in wow. and just being like, again like, blown away. Like, so oh my God, how, how did that look? Oh, is it is it a massive store? Um, you know, a lot a lot of long boxes to sift through. Uh, not so much anymore. They did. They used to. Uh-huh. Um, they used to have all the sort of the old back issues and stuff, which were great. Mm. Uh, the fr- it's, it's almost like a two room store, and when you walk in nowadays, uh, the front sort of part of the room is all the toys, so your Funko Pops mm-hmm. and your uh, all your figures and, and some of the really high end, yep. uh, you know, two hundred pound, four hundred pound kind of models. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, you look at me, you go, "That's lovely." Yeah. Never going to be in my house. <laughs> Um, and all this, there's, there's a lot of the books and stuff there, and then they've got a room at the back yeah. which is dedicated to the, the comics and graphic novels, and that's where the weeklies are ah, and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and it was yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a really good store, and um, I think Forbidden Planet do a great job of presenting everything in a, a really um, accessible way. Mm-hmm. So like you know they've got they've got like the shelves that are Marvel, they've got the shelves that are DC, they've got the shelves that are Image, and so on and so forth. So if you, whatever you're looking for is there, you you should be able to find it. Yeah. And the staff have, the staff have always been great, you know. Mm-hmm. Even sort of say going back to the day and now, they've always been pretty good. So yeah, um, great. Yeah, there's a reason they stuck around for so long. Yeah, I can't. I, I didn't realize that they were like a franchise. Like, like they, they had um, little stores all over. I thought it was just a one big store. Um, but that yeah, no, no the, I think. The, I think it's about like yeah, about nine or, nine or ten stores across the country. Wow! So All right, yeah. It always interests me about the layout because, say, for instance, so when you're saying that they put the the toys and and the and the high end stuff at the front, uh, as a consumer, obviously you have the stuff like the Funko, which um, I think um, the turnover I'm imagining might be a lot quicker because it's it's you know uh, it's a collectible thing, and, and if you're a collector, you want to get the whole set stuff. Um, but by putting the books at the back, you kind of have to go through all that stuff to get to the the main. Because it, it always baffles me why aren't the books and the graphic novels at the front? You know, you're at a comic book store, yeah. right? But yeah, it must be all yeah, obviously all to do with marketing and stuff. I mean, our local comic book store as well has a very kind of an incidental. I mean, there's a display stand for for toys and stuff. Um, but yeah, again, you have to go to the back of the store to to get your your weekly comics and your trades. So. Yeah, no, it's just quite interesting. I find um, it is. I think I, I think there's a there's an acceptance nowadays within the the retail element of this that mm. comics, whilst are the backbone of all this, mm. probably aren't the biggest money maker. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So like, um, kids, people are drawn in. So your casual fans that have seen a couple of Marvel films and have seen um, Justice League or whatever. Mm-hmm. They are they are going to be enticed in by say oh look there's an action figure or a Funko Pop or a model or whatever mm-hmm. of Batman or Wolverine or whoever yeah and it's that sort of enticement isn't it it's that psychological thing of like come into the store yeah. come into the store yeah absolutely and then when you've got and then when you've got me in the store you can say oh you like Batman you should try out some other yeah. books in the back store so I think it's it's uh, and and it can be intimidating yeah. as well like you know if you are if you do like the films. And you want to crack into comics? Like I've had people say as well that you know I really want it, but I don't know where to start. You know, it's, it's a massive universe. You know, let alone picking what you know DC or Marvel or looking at independents. So yeah, there's a lot to think about, and uh, I think you're right. You know, it's kind of teasing them in, and then mm. kind of getting the hooks in, <laughs> so to speak, once they're once they're in there. So. Um, 
Look, I want to veer away a little bit from the comics now because I really want to talk about um, podcasting. So generally with mm. with guests as well, I usually ask as, an, as the other question, a follow-up. Um, you know, uh, we've had writers on as well, uh, as well as some other podcasters. But podcasting, you, you, are, you host 20th Century Geek, which is, um, which is fantastic. I'll put uh, the link in the show notes for anyone out there interested. Thank you. Yeah, um, and tell us a bit about it, Scott. Um, how did it come about, and, and basically, what is it about? So, yes, yeah, so what's it about? So, 20th Century Geek is uh, it's a podcast in which I delve into anything and everything from pop and geek culture from the 20th century, mm-hmm. is the idea. So, it's an open forum, really. I can choose any topic I want, yeah. and basically, it's my podcast. Yeah. Um, and it came about because I'm always I'm, I when I went to university I did history mm-hmm. so uh, I've always had that sort of like you know interest um, and as I sort of mentioned before I started to make these links in my head about here's the social things that were going on here's the historical elements of things that are going on mm-hmm. oh but look, this is what's happening in geek culture so I was you know mm. um, big things like the 60s being a counterculture movement and you can see it being represented in the, the original Star Trek series yeah. you know, the first uh, interracial kiss the sort of you know, the short oh, skirt, yes. all that sort of thing yeah, yeah. Um, and you, so you get that I found that more and more interesting so just of my own accord I started to sort of pick into it and I was like oh this is really interesting so I thought you know my own thing I was like okay well I know Superman's the first superhero but mm. where did he come from you know so I, I read a book a couple of books about the origins of Superman, and they kept mentioning these pulp heroes mm-hmm. um, being the forebears of those, like you know, again, Doc Savage, the Shadow, and that sort of thing. And then when I saw, oh, okay, well, I'm really interested. I want to see what those are all about now. So then I read about those, and then they were like, oh, but that, before them, <laughs> there was Buck Rogers and John Carter of Mars and Tarzan and Sherlock Holmes, and I was like, okay, so there's just this knock-on effect of you know things grow on top of things grow on top of things. Like, you know, there's that that the ripple effect yeah um and i found it so that was more in super so i started in superheroes and i was really interested in it and i I listened to a whole heap of podcasts and i was still do Mm -hmm. um but the one thing that you know the the one person that stuck out a lot to me was kevin smith Ah. the the filmmaker and and podcaster and you know the king of geek sort of thing and one of his things that he kept saying was like just do it like you know don't think about it just do it don't ask what it was sort of um, don't be a why person be a why not mm-hmm. you know don't just think oh why should I oh, why should I do that so why not try that yeah so I was I was like do you know what I'm going to do it I'll, I'll, I'm going to try a few things yeah. see how it fits and see what happens and, and just see what happens see where it takes off and uh, originally it was going to be called 100 Years of Superheroes oh right okay um, and then but the more I dug into it the more I was like actually there's I don't want to limit myself to that. There's so much more. Yeah, oh. I find that I find interesting. Yeah, oh gosh, uh, your your show has been really. Uh, I got introduced to your show um, looking for something on Superman, and so I, I watched. Uh, yeah. Not watched. I listened to the couple of episodes dedicated to that, which was great. And then I look on your on your list of episodes, and what do I see next? It was um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> you know, so yeah. something yeah. totally different, out of, out of the ordinary. Uh, I did a bit more digging as well, and I absolutely. I think I, I sent a message to you as well. Absolutely loved your um, 
your overview of of Red Dwarf. You have a Red Dwarf uh, mm. thing, which is fan- again like very different from uh, you know your your super well your superheroes and your Roger Rabbits. Um, and and now I see uh, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of horror films that you you look into as well. Yeah, so like I say it's, it's a great fact. I can, I can pretty much do anything I want. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I've done. I'm a yeah, big fan of Red Dwarf mm-hmm. uh, from back in the day, um, and all the films. So yeah, and I, I, I literally June uh, just gone. I did uh, Italian horror mm. from. Uh, we looked at uh, Lucio Fulci uh, from the early '80s, and uh, Mario Bava from this for his work in the '60s. Because I've never looked at Italian, I've never really watched much of it. I've seen bits yeah. and pieces, but I really should dig into that. And then, so uh, and then for July, I'm um, I'm doing sci-fi comics of the nineties. Oh, so awesome. I'm, I'm reading, yeah, I'm reading a series called The Meta Barons, uh, which uh, has been recommended to me by uh, a friend of mine called Julian Darius, who mm-hmm. um, I've done several shows with now. Who he created an organization called Sequart mm-hmm. uh, which is online and they've uh, they oh, he's the American dude isn't he more... is he the American dude yes, yeah yeah he yeah, is. Yeah. yeah he is yeah so he sort of take his organization takes a more academic approach to comic analysis they've got a load of their books and they're fantastic mm-hmm. um, and so he recommended that so I said okay well let's let's talk about it so we're going to talk about that awesome. and then I'm talk then to add on to that we're going to talk about um, a single story from the Judge Dredd universe Judge Dredd America oh wow um, which I, I think is quite uh, apropos of the um, social ongoings in America at the moment so oh very yeah, good so I can I, I can dip and choose wherever I want really yeah it's, uh, it must be great to have that flexibility yeah yeah it's fun it's been really fun and I've spoken it, the good thing about it is is, is and like you said, it's you know you can talk to so many people and you find out so many different stories of how things have come about. Mm. Um, and the great thing I've found is people want to talk about the things that they're involved in. Mm. So I've reached out. I've reached out to people. Um, like I said, like with Julian, I, I just reached out to him over Twitter and email and said, you know, I'd really like to talk about mm. um, these things. And he came on, and we've, we've you know we've had several episodes now, but. Um, last year, I spoke. I spoke to um, I forget the guy's name now, but the guy who played Chucky in the Child's Play films. Oh, the wow! First two Child's really? Play films. Wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the guy who was in the suit. Yeah. So in the in the actual. So and um, I've spoken to uh, the guy who was an editor on 2000 AD for seven years, from 1991 to 98. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and just it just reached out. The, one of the best ones is recently. I spoke to. There's a book called. Um, Paperbacks from Hell, uh-huh. uh, which is, which is about um, the, the boom in sort of like trashy um, horror paperbacks in the late seventies and early eighties, right? Um, uh, uh, by a guy called Grady Hendrix, who's an author as well. And again, I just reached out to him and said, "Oh, you know, I've really enjoyed your book. Would you mind coming on and having a chat about it?" And he was like, "Yep, yeah, not a problem." So <laughs> yeah. people are willing to talk about things, and it's it's you learn, and people are fascinating, so it's really good. Yeah, that's that's so, and it's so easy to talk to people that are obviously invested in what what they're talking about. So um, yeah, no, that that's really great, and it's that's what I find as well. Like it's um, so reassuring to reach out to people. Yeah, basically on Twitter, that's what I do as well. Just reach out to people mm. on Twitter, and and uh, yeah, if if they like to to chat about something that they're really into, then um, yeah, that's not too difficult to to get them on, which is which is really cool. With, with the movies, what do you? Um, what do you think of the current state of the like the comic book movies that we see now, as well as well as the TV? Do you do any apart from Red Dwarf? Do you do any TV shows? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big. I try and do as you know as much as I can. There's so much content mm. that it's 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 quite hard to keep up. Yeah, um, I'm a little behind on like the Netflix superhero shows. I haven't seen the latest Jessica Jones or the latest uh, Luke, um, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Yeah. So I've got those two to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think they're great. Again, it's that thing of I, I think they get into a position now where they're not just doing um, a superhero show. And it being a superhero show, yeah. you know, so it's they're not just being done as the cheesy like the nineties Flash yeah. or even Smallville had its time, you know, its time. But mm-hmm. you've now got so much diversity that I, I don't watch. Um, like I haven't really watched Cloak and Dagger. I didn't watch Gifted yeah. or uh, the Runaways. They're, they look like I, I watched the first episode and thought, oh, these are great. Yeah, yeah. They're aimed at people a lot younger than me. Mm-hmm. You know, teen drama and that sort of thing. Yeah. So great. Yeah, I, I'm, but that's fine. That they're Sorry, I, I must say, uh, yeah. I mean, like just today, I watched um, watched the latest Cloak and Dagger, and and I've got only like one or two episodes of the Runaways to, to go. And yeah, exactly as I say, it's a different flavour. Um, same with the Gifted, mm. uh, catered for a different audience, but um, well, maybe the Gifted more so because they are mutants. But with Cloak and Dagger, it, mm. the the emphasis really isn't on their superpowers or, or anything like that. I mean, you get to see a bit of it, uh, and some fans may be, you know, a little. Um, upset that you don't see enough of Cloak's cloak and his teleporting ability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they have changed a lot, haven't they, over the years? Um, and you mentioned The Flash with John Wesley Shipp. That was one of my favourite yes. favorite series back um, in the 90s. Uh, looking back... It was amazing. It was cool, wasn't it? And um, Yeah, it was so good. Uh, yeah, looking back on it, just the, the colour, like the, um, I don't know, the set designs and stuff was so 90s. It was really funny. Um, but yeah, um, that things have changed, and, and um, now you have different genres in the movies as well. I mean, obviously the obvious one is, is Winter Soldier being a, like a spy spy kind of thriller, um, as opposed to um, like Ant Man and the Wasp now, which is more of a light hearted mm. romp. Um, so yeah, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting um, interesting time for comic books, uh, comic book movies. It is, and I th- but I think it, it truly is the golden age mm. of. Not just, not just comic books, but like for geek content, if you want to call it that. Oh is, yeah. That there is there is so much diverse that I don't have to feel there's no pressure for me to watch, even like ten fifteen again like ten years ago. Yeah. That if 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 there was something on TV, you 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 latched onto it that you were like that's mine and I'm going to watch mm. it because it fits into my even if it was rubbish. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, but now, like you say, uh, there's so much that that. You know, people can try. So if I want to feel, if I want to watch something a bit silly, I can I can lean into that, and there's something to watch, or I can go diverse. I mean, at the moment, uh, I am literally jumping between three shows. Mm. I'm watching I'm watching the third season of Lucifer, Ooh. which I think is fantastic. I think okay. uh, Tom Ellis as, as Lucifer is, is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as it's not as pure as the comic it's, it's based on. They've tried to give it almost like a procedural murder investigation framework. Okay. Um, but it works and he's fantastic it, it, I really enjoy it uh, I'm then watching Handmaid's Tale oh yes um, brilliant isn't it which, oh god oh it's fantastic we've got two, two episodes of that left uh, yeah. of the first season so we're catching up and then I'm, I've just finished uh, season one of Westworld ah. ready to dive into season two so I know. You know. There's a lot of content, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. So that's why I haven't got it round to Jessica Jones and Luke Cage yeah. yet. But it's 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 you know, it's not for want of trying, but the fact of the matter is it's it's so good. Like no one is, you know Yeah. Um no one's like resting on their laurels anymore. The, yeah. All of these shows 
are just hitting a mark. It might not be my mark, mm. but it's hitting it for someone, and that's what's so good about it. Like there is someone out there that is loving that show, and that's brilliant. Yeah, and the production quality of TV shows are now just you know not not level pegging with movies because big budget movies obviously have a lot more but they are very good aren't they the standards of TV shows mm. and so I find as well I wonder I mean because you, you um, are a, a, quite a movie buff here Scott um, do you find uh, uh, how does that how does it impact your movie viewing I guess now because I guess what, what I'm getting at is with these great TV shows at the moment it's a lot easier to just and, and with the time constraints that we have these days it's a lot easier to watch one episode of uh, a season than, than to invest a three and a half hour time slot to watch say lord of the rings you know what i mean um uh, there's a lot yeah. more investment for for movies that you have to really set time aside um you know we've all got busy lifestyles and um yeah do you find that or do you do you give yourself enough time to to watch the movies that you want to watch uh, no, you're, you're totally right. Mm. You, the, the time is is definitely a, a commodity that I, I wish I had more of. Mm. Um, the, no, the, the, it's funny that you say that because I think films have got longer, and, and it's, mm. it's you know, and sometimes I wonder why. Um, <laughs> so, so it, it is you, you know, when you gave the example of Winter Soldier, which is easily my favourite Marvel uh, MCU movie. Mm-hmm. But it's well, it's well over two hours long. It is. So if I was to sit down, yeah. you're like, okay, well, I'm going to sit down. What time is it? All right, seven thirty. Right. If, I, if I watch this now, it's going to be like ten o'clock by the time I finish. Mm, yeah. So, it's, so you, you do have to sort of think about these things. Yeah. Um, and so it's easier sometimes just to watch TV. Mm. But uh, there are films I will make time for. Like you say, I'm going to watch this and, I'm, and I'm, I'll fit it in and do something. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, but it's quite funny that recently, uh, as I said, just recently I saw on Netflix, yeah. it was on, I think it was on Netflix or Prime or something, on one of the streaming services, mm-hmm. one of their options, you know, they do like by genre, don't they? So action, horror, suspense, yep. comedy, whatever. One of theirs was less than 90 minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. So films, yeah. f- films less than 90 minutes. So if you want to, here's your choice if you haven't got the time. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought that's a really good idea. Oh, geez, that, that's indicative of it, uh, of it, isn't it? Like, mm. it, it's really just... Mm. Uh, telling what everyone's thinking you know basically we're getting long movies and um uh yeah and here's an option for you if you if you need it um tying it back to a little closer to itk now like with movies scott um would you prefer to see a tv show or a movie of moon knight what would your preference be <sighs> to be fair seeing what they've done if they were to time um mooney into the mcu mm-hmm. i think i think they would struggle mm-hmm I think I, th- I think he. Whilst I would, I would always, I'm always going to say I'd love to see him on the big screen. Yeah, but yeah. If the, if you were going to be honest to him and be authentic to the character, I think a, a Netflix type show would be perfect. I think yeah. it's you know eight to ten, eight to ten episodes. Yes. Um, there was that interview recently, and two guys said how they'd love to do it. Uh, and the, the the only problem with Moon Knight is whilst he is awesome and he is awesome. Ah, uh, yes, I know which one. He, yeah, yep. You, you have to go through the elements that begin with this is relatively cheesy yes. and silly yeah. to, to get to that but I think with the right writers you could easily do that and I think almost if you were to be really clever yeah. you could look at his origins and you could go All right, we don't need that we don't need this yes. what 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 has been created in the last I can't remember years now but from the Warren Ellis run through the Lemire run mm-hmm. through Bemis yeah they've they, you could take that now and be like, actually, that's the origin story. This is the this is the story of someone's um, mental health yes. um, f- collapse, 
and how they've actually used um, you know this figure of Konshu to sort of as a as a beacon to actually for good and the use of their mental illness. I think, I think it could be really interesting. Yeah, no, and no, absolutely, um, I totally agree with you. I mean. The, Obviously, loonies have different factions of what they want to see on the big screen, small mm. screen. Um, you know, my preference, obviously, is similar to stuff like Netflix, um, like like yourself having it on Netflix. Um, and and funny that you mentioned that and going for the eight to ten episodes. Again, a lot of people are starting to feel that thirteen episodes is a bit long now uh, in yeah. in shows, so they're looking to cut it back to eight to ten, which I think is is fine. I mean, having watched The Handmaid's Tale, ten episodes. I think it was 10, 10 or 11, was really good. Mm, it is 10, yeah. Yeah, really nice, uh, really nice bite-sized chunk of a, of a season. So that's um, that's that's really cool. Um, and look, and just finally, before we get on to, funny you should mention Warren Ellis, but anyway, before we get on to uh, your Isla Ra books, which um, really want to really dive into, uh, just further on to that Moon Knight question, um, how did you get into Moon Knight? How were you introduced to him? Uh, so with Moon Knight, it was um, uh, again. I was on holiday uh, just a weekend away in uh, Whitby mm-hmm. in the north of England. Um, I was into comics. I was collecting quite, you know, quite a lot. And we went to a second-hand bookshop, and I can't kind of, I can't resist a second-hand bookshop. Yeah. I have to admit that's, an, that's another that's another sort of uh, <laughs> thing. I've got. I'll always go into a second-hand bookshop. My wife rolls her eyes and she's like, "I'll see you in an hour." <laughs> uh, um, and I went in and they had all the books and some great books and then in the corner was a cardboard box and it was 50p an issue Ooh. and I thought oh well, yeah it was for these just a stack of comics yeah. and I just sort of like rummaged through and there was some uh, Nomad and <laughs> uh, some some early sort of um, uh, better Riley what's the Scarlet Spider Scarlet Sp- and all oh, sort yeah. of stuff Good. yeah and then at the bottom there was these there was uh, Mark, some Mark Spector Moon Knight mm. Um and I had never really seen the character. I think I'd seen him once or twice. He appeared in something, and so I, it, it was in my, you know, periphery sort of thing. Yeah. But I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Fifty p an issue, and there was about six or seven issues of Mark Spector Moon Knight. But then below that, yeah. right at the bottom, were four issues of the original uh, Munch. Oh, run. lovely. Um, and they were sort of, if I remember right, it was issues uh, nine, ten, uh, and I think some of the twenties. Um, but I opened it up and it was the, the Bill Sinkovich art yep. and I was just like these are awesome yeah. it's not just an issue so I just, I just, I just grabbed them yeah. and um, I think one of them was actually was issue 16 um, actually which has uh, got a fold out cover oh ok um, yes. of, of um, the mantra and I was yeah it was just I was like these are brilliant <laughs> like the, you know the, the character seems a bit odd yes. and I remember sort of thinking ok I want to read a bit more uh, and that's when I went and from that I picked up um, some other sort of standalone issues, yeah. and then all of a sudden, soon after that, um, the Houston run mm. was released. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, two thousand six. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that really kind of brought Mooney back into into it a bit. Did you did you get the Mark Spector Moon Knight ones as well? When you, I've got, I have got, and this is this is it's a, it's a humble brag. Let's be honest, because you know it's great. <laughs> I have got every single single issue of. Uh, all the Moon Knight runs. Whoa, um, awesome! Yeah, it's taken me quite a long time, and uh, probably more money than I'd admit to, ah. to, to the wife. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so and I've got some issues in there that I'm very, very pleased with. Even the sort of because you obviously know at the end of Mark Spector, yes, the Stephen Platt ones. The, there. Yeah. So I've got, I've got, yeah, those ones are quite rare. I've actually got a signed Stephen Platt. Whoa, nice one. Yeah, I came across that, and that was like, um, uh, it's sort of, you know. 
I was like, oh, okay, this is quite cool. And again, mm. I think sometimes you get. I got this in a shop, in a comic shop yeah. in uh, in the south of England. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think people don't know what they've got. And it was there for fifteen pounds. And I was like, wow. I'm having that. Yes, fifteen pounds of steel. Freaking hell! It was. I was amazed. Oh, right. Yeah, um, you have posted it up, haven't you? I'm, I'm pretty sure you made. Have, no, no, I haven't. Someone else. Someone else has. I will have to. Actually, yeah, please do. Uh, yeah, please it's do. A, it's it's a it's a great piece. Um, and then there's a few others. So the other things that sort of uh, then there's after the end of this Mark Spector Moon Knight run, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is a spoiler to say, but he dies obviously. He sacrifices himself <laughs> yeah. at the end of that run. Why they haven't reprinted that run, I don't know. But they really should. I'm hoping they do mm. it in the epic yeah. series. Um, they did. There's two four issue um, yes. mini series. Resurrection, uh, Resurrection War and High Strangers. Resurrection. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're fantastic. Mm, they're they're good. really weird. They're really weird, but they're really good. Yeah, we um, um, we, we reviewed not too long ago uh, the Resurrection War. Um, Mm. Artwork by uh, Tommy Lee Edwards, fantastic, kind of mm. all really Mike Mignola esque, and uh, and and written by Doug Munch as well. So uh, that was a good one. And High Strangers, I think it won an award when it was um, when it was. It did. Yeah. I think it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really good. Uh, it's it's in. Um, they're just those things. They're forgotten books. Yeah. Even for some, I think even for some like you know uh, casual Moon Knight fans, they're books that I think need to be revisiting. That yeah. Uh, before the because a lot of people seem to start with the Houston run. Yes. Because um, it's the 21st century sort of like mm-hmm. starting point. But there's so much goodness. Before there, that. there is, and and I think a lot has to do with let's get those um those four issue runs in trades or something. You know, make them a bit more available mm. because at the moment they're really hard to come across. Uh, but wow, you're you're an Omega level loony here, Scott. I didn't realise you had the I'm, whole I'm, collection. I'm <laughs> I have. They're all they're in a they're in a, a long box of their own in the loft at the Fantastic. moment. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, they're they're a bit of a, a a moment of pride. The thing is, that there's characters. I'm, I'm a big fan of sort of um, you know obviously the big level characters. The, the, I'm a big fan of Captain America. Mm-hmm. And you've got like Batman and, and Superman. But there's a load of like B, C, and almost D level characters that I just think don't get enough yeah. um, push at times and I'm glad Moon Knight's really sort of like working his way up yeah um, yeah the ladder I think so and and um, I guess especially with social media it's good to make a bit of noise because um, uh, because yeah like especially as you're saying this golden age of of, um, of comic books in the movies and in, in, in all sorts of mediums he seems to be mentioned like a lot for TV mm. series and, and movies, and it's only a matter of time before the higher ups, yeah, kind of get the get the idea, get the message. Uh, but you're right, uh, a lot of D. I, I used to love, um, I used to love Death's Head. Do you, you remember Death's Head? Yes, that was great. Yeah. Uh, Death's Head one and two. I loved. Um, yes, yeah, Death's Head two for me. Um, that run was really good because. Uh, alongside Infinity Gauntlet, it was one of the few times you, you actually see in the alternate reality like the superheroes die and stuff, and it was really a massive. Um, I really enjoyed it when it first came out. The artwork was brilliant. I think it was because um, Death Head, Death's Head is English, right? He is. Yeah. So yeah, there was a there was a Marvel UK boom in the not boom. There was a Marvel UK set up in the early nineties. And they made they had a sort of all these characters, and they're very nineties. Yeah, you know, yeah. lots of pouches and guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, but Death's Head's one of those. Mm. And weirdly enough, Death Death's Head in canon, in a, it was in a Death's Head issue. I'm not sure how it happened. Or, or I do know it happened. Mm. Uh, had a cameo from Doctor Who. What really? <laughs> yeah, seriously. So 
So, because uh, at the time, Marvel UK was had the rights to create and reprint the Doctor Who comic. Cool. So he appeared... So Doctor Who, I think it's the Sylvester McCoy, so it's the seventh Doctor, appeared in, um, in, in a Death's Head issue. Wow. So technically... Doctor Who exists it's, in the Marvel in the, universe. Yeah, yeah, how, how cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, you, you know, Marvel, uh, you know, has infinite different universes, but it's always cool to think that the Doctor Who is uh, is mixing it with uh, Doctor Strange. You know, that's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Especially being out, being out here in the cosmic, you know, you, you might see a, a little blue box flying past. <laughs> that's that's it. That's it. Though. Who knows? We might see one a bit later, later on. Um, <laughs> Oh, awesome. All right, well, um, hey, but we'll, well, let's take a, a quick break, and when we come back, I think we'll get right into your four Isla Ra books. How's that? Sounds good. Excellent. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Phil Parrish from the Caves and Lunatics podcast, a proud member of the collective, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Welcome back, loonies. Yes, I am here with a Beyonder Scott from our 20th Century Geek podcast, and he's also a fellow loony. Uh, we're doing Scott's Isla Ra books tonight, and uh, as we sail through the cosmos here on, on, on the raft, Anubis is still pretty quiet back there. How you going there, mate? No, he's, uh, he's, his eyes are focused. He's... Um, sailing along. Um, I'm here with Scott and you have brought with you tonight on this raft uh, four of your favourite books uh, and as I have mm-hmm, and as always uh, we'll go through your two honourable mentions um, so mm. I guess rank three and four from your, your top four and uh, and, th- yep. and then we might um, we might bounce somewhere else um, to cover your last final two comics so Without further ado, I'm just pulling it up here. Um, the first book that you have chosen, Scott, is an image book. Um, yes. And this one is oh, is Chu. This is a strange one. <laughs> um, Chu Warrior Chicken. Is it Poyo? I think I think it's Poyo. Poyo. Yeah. 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 Um, and well, how about um, how about I pass it to you for the the credits here, Scott? Okay, so it's uh, yeah, Robert. It's called Chew. Uh, this was a spin-off one one shot uh, called Warrior Chicken Poyo, written by John Layman and uh, drawn by Robert Gilroy, and um, and coloured by Robert Gilroy as well. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, yeah. So it's, it's trying to put it into context, really. So Chew okay. is a sixty-issue series mm-hmm. um, written by John Layman and, and, and drawn and coloured by Rob Gilroy. Um, that is, it deals with a guy called uh, Tony Chu, mm-hmm. who has a power that anything he eats, he can pick up the history of it. Okay. And so he's a detective. So he ends up having to do a murder mystery, and the way he can solve the murder is by taking a bite out of the body, and it goes on from there. And then it comes down to this weird conspiracy where chicken's been uh, banned, uh, and all this other stuff. It's a crazy, crazy book. <laughs> it's incredibly imaginative. Yeah. It's very funny. So. People start having food-related powers. So, you know, like you say one he can get the history of food. Uh-huh. Some guy can get gain super strength from food, and it's right. It's very bizarre, but it's but it's amazing. So, that, so that's in Chew, the sixty-issue run, right? You're mentioning, yeah. Okay. So within that, within that, there's a there's a law enforcement agency where uh, the agents are teamed up with uh, cybernetic animals. Uh, 
and one of those cybernetic animals, or the, the most feared of those cybernetic animals, is this cybernetic rooster called Puyo. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really... Oh, look, I had no idea what to expect when I read this. Um, <laughs> it is really bizarre. Uh, thanks for putting it into context, I actually, because I haven't read Chew. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things mm. about it. Um, I haven't gotten around to reading it, but it actually, that starts to make sense a little, um, basically, because... This is so funny because Poyo is like uh, this indestructible, the top tier friggin' superhero in this in this universe, and even to the fact where he can't even hang around to um, to receive the praise from everyone after he's yes. done something. He's got to go on to his next mission. Uh, he just hasn't got time to, to do that. Uh, but it explains, are you saying with Chu? Because a lot of the villains here, it was a, the Groserio Mansers um, or the Mansa, yes. which. Um, uh, look, look, in a, in a, oh, how about, would you like to explain, like, in a nutshell, what happens in this issue? So in this, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so Poyo, Poyo uh, it starts with a, a little sort of uh, anthology of Poyo's successful missions, everything from saving the, uh, the President of the United States mm-hmm. from uh, what I think are supposed to be French terrorists, mm-hmm. uh, to being sh- shrunken down and... Um, Saving him from sort of yeah, antibodies or something inside yes. him, but he is like the six million dollar chicken. <laughs> anyway, it turns out that he's not—he's not. I've rightly said he's not around for the celebration. He's sent off somehow. It doesn't explain. It never explains how, but he's been sent off to a fantasy world, yes. which is basically filled with every cliched fantasy element you can think. I of. I love this, and this it's just so many re- yeah. so many references to things that you that you know I recognise. It's like oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's brilliant. That's why I love the, the, this. John Lehman and, and Rob Gilroy are so good for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they um, they uh, he then stuck stuck in this fantasy world, and it's been taken over by a, a, yeah, a necrogromancer mm-hmm. who basically can bring vegetables to life and use them as uh, evil weapons. Yeah, that's that's really what it is. That, that basically, that's it. Um, but. Uh... And, and so there's like a band of them, right? They're, they're going to try and stop the, the grocery or Mansa. Um, mm. And obviously, inevitably, inevitably we know that um, Puyo is the last chook standing. And, and uh, he... Well, there's a bit of conjecture at the, at the end. Uh, they, they did say that um, he, he was eaten by the by that dark wizard but again you just say no nah, yeah. that's wrong he actually tears the uh, skeleton out of him and that's what yeah. really happens so again he's indestructible he's unbeatable um and he's off and uh, oh, the, the last page scott was a was a real i, I had to smile when i saw that because n- yeah. knowing image comics and and you know knowing you know fellow creators on that on that line um yeah we have that last page of Poyo onto his next mission uh, with Rick and Michonne in front of him, oh, and, yeah. and Carl as well with the Walking Dead. That's, that's it. Absolutely so, brilliant. And those, yeah, and those walkers, those walkers are nowhere. They're no fight for Puyo. He'll kick their ass. That's no problem. <laughs> yeah. So very much a um, very much a comedic uh, book. I, I did like the uh, the humor. Is uh, there is a particular style to the humor, isn't it? Um, isn't there? Mm. Um, and I love these references with uh, we get uh, Lord of the Rings. What was a Gord of the Rings? Um, we have. Yeah. I love uh, the appearance of Dorothy and Toto. I saw that towards the end. Yeah. Uh, who's the? Do you know who's the blue dude? Who's the guy next to them? Is he someone that we're meant to know? Or no, I think base. So the um, 
you you get the selection that it's a selection of warriors pulled from different dimensions yeah. to represent you know all these warriors. So he's meant to be like a space character. He's meant to be almost like a, a um, Adam Strange kind of ah, character. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get all kinds. Yeah. Of uh, of different characters, which I think is fantastic. I mean, like you said, you said about the jokes. There's a there's a bit at the beginning when they first go into the um, fantasy world, mm-hmm. and you've got two I assume to be hobbits crossing a bridge. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says it says it says troll bridge. Prepare to be criticised. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like those little signs. There's another one about lawyers later on as well, which is um, yeah. which is pretty funny. But yeah, a really a really nice uh, really, really nice romp and and well contained. It is a one shot. Um, you have chosen uh, one shots here, Scott. Um, I can only imagine you enjoy. Are you a big fan of John Layman, or um, how did this how did this issue grab you? Yeah, no. This I mean, I was, I'm a big fan of Chew. Uh, okay, and again, yep. I found Chew. I, I came across the first issue because, um, or the first collection, when Image were doing their first volumes at a reduced price. Mm-hmm. So I remember grabbing. I remember grabbing Chew and thinking, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And just being hooked. And like every, you know, so I've, I've, been, I've been trade waiting on it. I'll admit that. Yeah. Um, but I've got the full collection, and they are. It's a great series. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, it's got sort of like vampires in. It's got it's got gangsters in. It's got vegetables. It's got yeah. uh, ghosts. It's it's brilliant. And like you say, John Layman's humour is is fun. it's just it hits my mark. Yeah, it's just so sort of surreal and uh, um, it's just unexpected. Daft. Yeah, and it's unexpected, yeah. isn't it? Like I had no idea these carrots were going to come out of the ground. I mean, you probably did if you if you followed Chu. But um, just the absurdity of it all, and uh, you know, and you got um, asparagus and, and uh, snow peas and all that sort of stuff. It's it's really crazy. I never expected Chew to to be this quirky, but I'm assuming this is the sort of thread that flows through the the sixty issue run as well. Yeah, I mean, this is just John oh, Lane. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And the artwork is actually we've got to mention the artwork as well. Um, I really I really think that this kind of suited. Obviously, it suits John Layman's storytelling. Um, it's you know, it's not uh, it's not your David Finch, you, you know, or anything like that. It's uh, it's 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 kind of uh, animated, uh, like like cartoon, yeah. like in, in a good way, yeah. Um, uh, but oh, yeah. it really is. I think I think uh, Rob Gilroy's art is is spot on, and he's he he is, you know, a lot of those jokes that appear in the background and stuff is him, you know. He, they're a true partnership on this. Like this, this isn't like John Layman writing, and he just came across Rob Gilroy. These are friends that have, you can tell, have got a similar sense of humour. They've created this together, and they were mm-hmm. probably laughing themselves silly, like writing this. Um, <laughs> and it's like you know, Chew, Chew is like Chew is daft, and it's got a real sort of say a thread, a sense of humour that runs through it all. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 all in purpose of. Um, the story so you know there's an actual story and they're trying to get to a defined ending and the thing I'd say about Chew is it is funny and it's incredible and it's actually quite action packed but it's also really heartfelt you you get to love the characters mm. and there are some there are some heartbreaking moments in that series that you just don't expect right um, so when they they're able to do these sort of like one shots because there's a couple of others I think there's at least two other um, Poyo uh, there's one called Secret Agent Poyo which I think I've got as well <laughs> yeah that it, it, it's their chance to let loose mm-hmm. of like, okay, we can be as a, we can be as imaginative as we want, and we're going to go crazy. So and and imagine a bit, a bit of uh, relief as well. Like, just, you know, we can let the valve off yeah. and, and just have fun with it. Um, because a lot of the, one of the things I took away from this and and with Poyo, there's um, and I mean this in in a good way as well, is that there's no 
real explanation for stuff. I mean, I, it kind of summed it up when this wizard says, in truth, Poyo is one badass motherfucking bird. Like, and that's it. You know, yeah. it just, okay, <laughs> how it. is he so good? How is he so strong? Don't worry. You don't need to know. He's just good at what he does. Um, so, yeah, he's got, this, uh, he's got this aura around him, I think, um, which is really funny. Well, this is... This is the thing in the in the series, um, Poyo becomes a bit of a, 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 do, a deus ex machina where he mm-hmm. he saves them on several of occasions, oh, okay. and they and so they sort of like they have to do away with that because they're a bit like oh, okay, well Poyo can just save them every time they get into trouble, yeah. And so about halfway through the series, about literally about I think it's about 30, 30 35 issues in, mm-hmm. they they have a load of trouble and someone says, well, where's Poyo? And it just flashes to like a double-page spread of, of Poyo fighting some mythical monster somewhere else on a different plane of reality. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, he's not, he's not available." Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Like, there's no explanation as to why he's there. He's just, like, yeah, he's not available. He's, uh, don't worry about he's it. He's just in demand. I mean, and, and yeah, and yeah. they and they um, take it one step further with with this issue, I guess, in it because you get that sense of like, you know, he's never available. He's he's off doing something mm. else. So. Yeah, really, really, um, really interesting. Um, again, I'm looking at just um, just quickly when what confused me, and again, this it's this kind of confusion slash uh, who cares? Who who cares about the details? Um, when when the the wizard's telling recounting the story to the king, and he tells that Poyo's eaten by the the grocery man, sir. Um, mm. I don't know what the purpose was for that because uh, maybe just to, to to set it up to say that hey. That's a lie. He actually beat him, but yeah, that, I mean, that, that took me for for a bit. I mean, Poya yeah. launches himself into the castle, basically like a bomb. Um, the rest, Dorothy, uh, the wizard, and, and that Adam Strange guy come in, and they say Poyo being eaten, but that's not true at all. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of just absurdity, which is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a that's a good um, a good book to take on a desert island, Scott. It is. Oh yeah, I, I I recommend you, and uh, it's a good. Like I say it's a good uh, release of humour. Yeah. Um, in sharp contrast to that, we have your number three. Um, so we're, we're just going to go through these uh, the honourable mentions quite, um, you know, quite broadly. Uh, we have brilliant. Um, we have Moon Knight, of course. We have one of the Warren Ellis issues, uh, and we have its issue four called Sleep. Um, yes. And sorry, uh, Scott, can I trouble you for the, the credits for this one? Yeah, so uh, the credits for the book is it's written by Warren Ellis, drawn by Declan Shelby, and colours by Geordie Belair. And mm-hmm. I want to emphasise that the colours by Geordie Belair because... Oh, she's brilliant. She's amazing. She's she's in my top two favorite colorists for comics i think she, her yeah. work is outstanding well, well you know um, well you know for this particular issue it's funny it was a, i can't remember ages ago it was on twitter Geordie belair was um was talking about this issue and it, it's it's mm. a sign of obviously obviously an artist in their own rights she, she's very critical of herself but she was saying um there's one page here that the huge splash page of that crazy fungal deity uh, she's, she was like mm. going on about, oh, I could have done it better. It was, uh, it's not how I really wanted it. You know, she was pressed for time. I'm looking at, I'm looking at it, thinking, geez, this is bloody brilliant. You know? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm, I'm looking at it now and thinking, I've no idea how it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I think the art in this. Um, I mean, this whole run, just, just to quickly, I mean, you know, I know mm-hmm. hopefully you're going to get to it um, and cover the whole run, but this whole run uh, as a six-issue uh, series mm-hmm. is. 
it's a statement of intent for Moon Knight. Like each each issue is a, almost like a different genre. Mm. You know, you've got um, uh, some action in there. You've got espionage. You've got horror. All kinds of things. Like Ellis is brilliant at this kind of thing. Mm. Um, and th- these are such a team. Like Ellis, Shelby, and and Belair. Yeah. Um, so good. They are like, this is very this, good. This is this is. It's top of the game kind of stuff. This is, and, um, and this is my favourite depiction. I mean, not only this issue, this whole run of Mister Knight, Mister mm. Knight, and and let's face mm. it, Warren Ellis, redef- well, he defined Mister Knight, didn't he? The, the the new kind of look of Moon Knight, and uh, he's so deadly in this series. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, we had um, we did an Isla Ra uh, not long ago with Looney Josh, and uh, we went through. It was actually issue five, the issue right after this, Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went through that as one of his top two uh, Isla Ra books, and that was the one where he was stuck in the um, apartment building, making his way up. Um, really, really yes. cool stuff. But here, this this is a, a doozy in itself, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> before we get into the nutshell, just um, off the bat, I wanted to say you're talking about Jordi Belair's colours. Um, by default, the the inverse of that I think is fantastic, which is which is the white. That she, where she doesn't yes. colour at all, and and by not colouring Mister Knight at all, and having all those creases done by Declan Shelby, um, he just pops out of the page, and he's almost this otherworldly kind of figure. Um, but yeah, yes. it's it, yeah, absolutely brilliant. It's, um, it's such a good choice, and that's the thing about this whole series that you know they, they do a lot of. Um, I mean, uh, DC do it at the moment. They do like the, what they call their noir series, so they'll do mm-hmm. all their books in like a black and white, just so <clears throat> so you can focus in on the art. But this is a book that is defined by the team, like, you know, the writing, the art, and the colour. This, especially this issue mm. for me, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's just such a combination. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And and so, in a nutshell, what would you what would you how would you describe this little tale? It's all, again a one shot. Yeah. So it's, it, each, I mean, each of these episodes, mm-hmm. each, each of these issues was a one shot, yeah. leading almost to an overreaching final. Um, in this book. Um, Mr. Knight is approached by a uh, a scientist who is doing work into sleep and dream, mm-hmm. um, and he he is asking for help because each of his patients or each each of his uh, participants yep. are, are going are going insane. They're all having the same nightmare mm-hmm. and going insane. So Mr. N- Mr. Knight um, Mooney is going to spend the night there and he's going to investigate. And what he finds takes him into the realm of dream. And he finds, he, you know, without a doubt, he finds out why yes. these people are suffering. A, a very, um, very horror based as well, isn't it? Like when he walks into that dark, empty room, um, a high shot of the perspective there, um, and and obviously it goes, it, all, it goes all surreal after that. Uh, I wanted to touch upon just at the beginning here. You mentioned Doctor Skelton, who's the guy that um, mm. uh, approaches Mooney. Uh, he has some ties with Dr. Peter L. Rain, um, which we know yes. is from all the way back in Volume 1, the 1980 uh, mm. run by, by Munch. Um, and he's the brother of, of Marlene, and he did those tests on uh, the villain that was to become um, Morpheus. So Moon Knight has had a little bit of dealings with, you know, dream, you know, dream uh, villains and issues and stuff. So uh, that's a connection, and I like how Ellis connects that to the history of Moon Knight um, by, by using our oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's why Nellis is so clever and that's why I think this, this series was so successful mm. I think actually if you, you could take every issue there is a connection every issue of this series has a connection to that original room mm. yes 
Um, and it, it, whether it be in, in uh, heavy tone or even more direct like this, mm-hmm. um, just to go completely off, off track, but even like the, the issue before this, mm-hmm. issue three about the ghosts, yes. um, there's an issue very, very similar, or it has a tone about a bunch of punks and a music box in the original run. So it's, Yes, yes. Yeah, you're right. So so there's things like that that I think that's why I love this run so much that it made me run to my sort of at that point the essential collections I'm running through going oh god I've seen this where's this from <laughs> um, yeah. so it was amazing I think that yeah for any um, Mooney fans any loonies out there it is a it is a nod towards all the fans and it's mm. always appreciated by fans when they know the writers are thinking about you know the character in that sort of depth and um, yeah Warren Ellis obviously does it does it here so as he um as Mooney asks Konshu to put him to sleep, uh, yeah, we get this totally whacked out, not not unlike um, what we're seeing here out in the in the cosmos here, uh, Scott. It does. It looks. Yeah, it's looking a bit familiar. To be honest, <laughs> it's, uh... yeah, uh, mushrooms, fungus everywhere. Um, I love Shelby's uh, costume of Moon Knight. You know the the armored one. Um, I love that yes. as well. It's uh, it was featured. It was so popular. I guess it made it its way to that Hasbro toy figure, Legends figure, which we reviewed uh, a while ago. Uh, and there's just a lot of madness here. And he comes across a spectre. Uh, no pun intended. And again, that horror element of the guy. He's got fungus or mushrooms coming out of his eyes, and uh, yeah, and and we find basically the reason why there's a bit of a smell in the room, and the reason why people are going insane, and uh, and what what's that down to, um, Scott? Well, but basically, we find that the the very first patient uh, or subject that the, this doctor had had a genetic disorder that, when combined with his dream or sleep um, chemical. Mm-hmm. He killed. It killed him. He actually died in a, in a dream, a, a dream sleep state. Yeah. And then from that, whilst his body has been decaying under the floorboards, all the other people in the building have been breathing in yeah. his spores. He's been mushrooming, and, and they've been dreaming the spores. How disgusting is um, that? That's such a cool idea, but it's so like, oh, you know, you know. Um, the, the, you know, we said before about the um, within Chew. There's no explanation. Yeah. Like, you know, things just sort of happen. Mm-hmm. One of the great things I like about this issue in particular, and there's a couple of others actually, it happens again in five, is that it starts with this guy has made contact, this doctor has made contact with uh, Moon Knight through uh, Detective Flint, we find. Mm-hmm. So you go, okay, I'll accept that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, but the fact this guy, he knows that body is in the room. I know, yeah. You know, he, so he, he doesn't really take Moon Knight serious. He's just sort of, he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do this because someone suggested it. Mm, yeah. But then at the end of it, we find the body and Moon Knight gives explanation and that's it like yeah that's it isn't it it's, it's such a, in, so abrupt isn't it it just ends in many issues you know they'd be like okay well we're going to have a, we're going to have a picture of him being taken away by the police yeah. or you know yeah. a fight or whatever but it's uh it's amazing. It's quite it's quite jarring, really. Um, I had to double take and like, <laughs> like look at the next page and go back and look at is that it? Is that it? Yeah, okay, that's it. Mm. Um, and again, the artwork here by Shelby, the the depiction of the spores, um, you know, almost like um, splotches of paint uh, or ink that they he uses with little drawings of of the spores in the air. It really gives a sense of this uh, this murkiness, which is which is really fantastic. And we always get again the. Um, uh, I, we get the expected violence from Mr. Knight as well. So when he first finds out um, what's going on, and we don't know yet ourselves, he just smashes out of the room and he 
and he has a has a go at the guy, Doctor Skelton, and, and there's an awesome picture here. I know it's violent. I shouldn't say awesome, but there's an awesome picture where he smashes um, his head against the floor with a with a downward punch. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. absolutely brilliant. Shelby is, oh, he's he was at the top of his game here, and actually, funnily, you mentioned about Jordi Belair. Um, I found particularly in this issue the colouring and maybe the inking was done slightly different. It, it just had a different feel to it. Did you did you gather that? Compared to the other issues, yeah, yeah, I do. I think I think really what I, I like about this issue is, uh, and what the reason I chose this one because, like you said about the difficulty of having to make that choice. Mm. Each each issue is really uh, is is very much its own story. And the great thing about Shelby is he's a, he's almost like an art director. Like he's a, he's a real director. Mm. If you'd set issue issue five, the panels and the way that the the, the angles and the the art is directed to look like an action film. Yeah. Um, and this is is directed to, to be a, a horror film, yes. as you say, and they've they've actually done the colours and the, the inking to, to represent that. Mm. Um, you, I mean, the the front page of the issue is he's gone to Odinburger, which I love, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and uh, it's so mundane. And that, but then the whole conversation in um, in the the Moon Knight limousine, mm-hmm. which I think I've really missed. I think it was a great idea. Yeah, the Moonmobile. The Moonmobile. Um, is is so dark and the shading and the shadow is 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 done to be a horror film. It, it's done the panel layout and everything. Yes, it, but it it, it it remains the colouring is muted. It remains relatively mundane throughout until Moon Knight falls asleep. Yes, yes, and then it just goes mental and the colours <laughs> are off the page. They crazy, are crazy, and and uh, oh god, you know it, it's so funny because otherworldly you're looking at mushrooms and, and fungus and stuff and it really does have that kind of element doesn't it and um yeah you're right Geordie Belair a lot of splotches I love the the highlights of the pink and the reds coming out of the green and the blues so you get these really contrasting vibrant colors uh, coming out mm. so uh really top stuff here um oh, I'd be happy to have this as my desert island book as well Scott I think yeah it's a class and this 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 isn't just um you know, if I was to this series, it's not just a classic Moon Knight series. The, the, this is a classic comic book. I think mm. this, I think this is comics done at their best. Every issue, every issue of this six-issue series, is uh, a team of artists at the top of their game. It's it's fantastic, and yeah, even even yeah. non Moon Knight fans should read this book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it does set itself apart from other like runs in that Warren Ellis distinctly chose to do one-offs like single mm. issues for the six runs uh, so it is definitely a memorable uh, a memorable run um, but brilliant brilliant choice here Scott brilliant um, yeah so those are the two honourable mentions um, happy to have a Moon Knight comic in that one and uh, and of course Chew with Poyo is, uh, <laughs> was, a, mm. was a fun read and I'm actually glad that you um, that you that you raised that one uh, as mentioned with other things look um these are your island books, so there's no. Ra- I'm assuming you're rating this five out of five, both of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all, of these, all, these. all four of these are, are, are a big high five. Yeah, I mean you've whittled it down from God knows how many comics, so they've got to be top uh, top tier, don't they? Yeah. Um, look, before we um, we get into your final two, and we're getting to the the big two, so to speak, uh, for your mm. books. Look, we're still here on the raft, um, and. Uh, I want to let's go somewhere else. I mean, I know that you have the power of the beyond. Yeah, can we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, it's just, it's just, Anubis. He's giving me a funny look at the moment, and I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how, how he's feeling because I'm not. You know, 
we've been talking about Konshu and, and Poyo, and I, <laughs> I think he, I don't think he's got a sense of humour about things. So no. we might best to move on. He's looking a bit suspicious. Oh, look, I see in the distance there, Scott. I mean, you've got better eyesight than me. I think that's Norrin. Hang on, one sec. Hey, Norrin, over here. Ah, oh, here he is. Hot. Bloody hell, he moves fast, doesn't he? He moves quick. Yeah, he does. Hey, hello, Norrin. Uh, hi, this is uh, this is Scott. Uh, he's a Beyonder. Um, I'm Ray. I'm just a high priest. My service spares my world. That's a high. That's a high polish. That's a high polish you've achieved there. Very nice. Yeah, exactly. Jeez, I wonder mm. what wax you use. It's really good. Um, look, yeah. Norrin. <laughs> um, Scott and I were just wondering. I mean, Scott can do it. He's a Beyonder, um, but he. You know, he's being polite. <laughs> so, um, would you be able to whisk us away? Uh, we've got two more books to um, to discuss. So, uh, we need to get back to Earth post-haste. So, um, I think... You remind me of her. Oh, great. Cool. Um, Scott, hop aboard on the the surfboard. Okay, this could be a first. I've never surfed before, so I don't know. <laughs> I might have to hold on a little bit. All right, I'll, uh, yep, I'll head at the back there at the back of the book. All right, we're all on. Yes, Noren. Great, thank you. Um, Take joy in the last few hours you have left. All right, okay. Scott, hold on. Uh, we're going to head back to Earth to review your final two. Okay, off we go. Hey there, everyone. I'd like to tell you about the YouTube channel I Am Your Target Demographic. If you're a fan of comics, we have plenty that you'll enjoy over there, including a series called Heroes Like Us that explores comic characters of all sorts of different identities. And we even have a series that defines words that are used in nerd culture that you may not know what they mean. So you can check us out by heading to YouTube and searching I Am Your Target Demographic or look up IAYTD on any social media outlet. Hello, welcome back, Looney listeners. We are back on planet Earth, having uh, been up high in outer space with Anubis and having hitched a ride from the Silver Surfer. Scott, are you okay? You're not jet-lagged or anything like that? No, I'm all right. I'm a bit queasy. That re-entry was uh, a little rough, but I think we're okay. I think we're okay. <laughs> yeah, the re-entry, yeah, I mean, there was there were problems with, um, you know, with us bursting into flames, but that's fine. You are you yeah. are a Beyonder, so I think you uh, you put us in a little bubble, and uh, we managed to make our way nice and safe. We are actually in Gotham City at the moment. I don't know if you recognise this, Scott. We are up high on the roof here. Um, yep. Yeah. Does this look familiar to you by any that. chance? It so, does. Sorry. We've gone from cosmic. We've gone from we've gone from cosmic down to uh, street level now. So it's. It's yeah. a bit rough though, isn't it? I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're up here on the roof because I wouldn't want to be down there. It's a bit rough down in the Gotham Alley, no. if I'm honest. Oh, exactly. So. There are plenty of uh, criminals down there. If only Moon Knight was here, but he's not. He's in New York. We are in Gotham City. And the reason why we are here, Scott, is because your big number two Isla Ra book um, that you have revealed is Shadow of the Bat. Um, let me mm. just pull up the issue here. Sorry, I had it in my little backpack while we went into re-entry, so I'm just going to have to rustle around in there. It's, it. uh, it's, not, it's not singed, is it? It's all right. No, it's it's okay. Um, That's good. Yeah. Oh, how about you... Um, can you give us the uh, the credits for this one, Scott? 
Yeah, so it's um, it's uh, Batman Shadow of the Bat number 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the story's called The Nobody. Uh, it's written by Alan Grant. Uh, artist is Norm uh, Brayfogle. And colorist is Adrian Foy. Mm. Now we're, we're going to really get into this um, into this Scott. This is a this is a really good issue. Um, I myself haven't read much of Batman. I think I mentioned to you out of your four books, uh, Moon Knight was the only one I really had read. Mm. Uh, but I I really enjoyed this one. This was a very touching a touching story. Um, Alan Grant did a lot of a lot of good work. Um, when was it released? There's a lot of '90s uh, references here uh, in looks. I mean. Um, yeah, this is uh, June 1993. 93. So it's okay, I can tell the uh, the vintage by the ponytails on the on the yuppies. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Uh, yeah, um, but this was a, this was a cracker of a read, uh, and like I said, very touching. Um, how do you want to go about this? Do you want to? Shall we go through page by page? Yeah, we'll go through. I'm, and, I'm, yeah. ha- I'm happy to. There's a lot to yeah. discuss in this issue. Yeah. There's a yeah. Lot to discuss okay. Well, well, let well let's like yeah, let's go um, briefly just page by page, and then we can get into the discussion. So, um, mm. look, I'll um, let's take a page each, uh, and I'll kick us off. So, we we basically start in Gotham City, where we are now, but down on the streets, and there is a homeless man who kind of comes out of the shadows and bumps into a, a yuppie or a businessman um, who's very angry, and uh, unfortunately he, he finds a bit of blood smeared on his on his suit, and that has come from the homeless man. And the homeless man goes to um, Bruce Wayne's building and demands that he sees Bruce Wayne uh, under threat of a gun to the security guard. Yeah, so I mean, it then cuts to uh, Bruce Wayne in his rather swanky office, up on the penthouse by the look of it, mm-hmm. um, and the security contact him to say that you know, there's this gentleman, he's very agitated, he's got a gun, and he wants to see you. Um, and, and Bruce Wayne says, OK... Be careful, but bring him up and we'll deal with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes into the room and they, they actually apprehend him. But before he's able to be taken away, um, he says to Bruce Wayne, um, You don't understand, I need to talk to you, it's for your best. What do you want everybody to know where you were at 4 a.m. this morning? Mm. And Bruce looks Bruce looks a little shocked. He does it. Um, he's kind of caught on that he potentially may be in trouble here. So, uh, so he catches on to this. And uh, he asks everyone to leave the room, that he'll take care of it. And so it's him and the homeless man, uh, the nobody, I guess. Um, and the guy reveals um, that he knows that he's Batman, uh, but he also that he's hurt as well. So he kind of shakily uh, sits down on one of the, the armchairs and with blood again smeared on Bruce Wayne, uh, he kind of um, has, to, has to get something off his chest uh, otherwise, uh, Batman's days of crime fighting are over, basically. Yeah, so it, it jumps to the, so the next page is it's almost like a, it's a single page splash, uh, mm. really. It's sort of saying, but uh, Bruce Wayne saying, well, don't, you know, don't I, I recognise you from last night? Um, and it's the explanation that yeah, the previous night Batman was taking on Johnny Zero and his boys uh, when they were robbing what appears to be called the Blue Heron Restaurant. Um, yeah. So Batman was in a gun. Well, he wasn't, but they, they were firing at Batman, and uh, he is about to take on the thugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does with great aplomb. Um, uh, he manages to beat them, evade bullet shots, um, get off a few punches himself, and one of them he punches a villain or a thug onto a sleeping homeless man who was the nobody that we've been introduced to. Uh, this startles the gentleman, and he kind of berates. 
Batman for kind of interrupting his his sleep. Um, you know, saying this is not Madison Square Garden. You know, what are you doing? Uh, can I get a little sleep? Uh, yes, yeah, so the story continues. Um, I like the fact that ba- Batman says, "You have a problem." Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, says, "What's it matter? Who cares? Yeah. I'm just a nobody." He carries on drinking, and, and Batman flies away. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the office, he admits that uh, seeing him, you know, uh, swinging away into the night sky, he, ha- he hated him for it because it's, it showed how uh, confident and reassured he was. Is who he was, and he's just a drunk mm. out on the street. Yeah, and and then we get a bit of a, um, a short history, a tragic kind of history of, of the gentleman, um, how he he was a loving father and and a husband it seems, um, but due to a terrible hit and run accident, um, he had to yeah identify the 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 bodies of his daughter and wife, which kind of made him plummet down a dark hole, uh, and he kind of lost the the local business which he had set up as well with his wife so that kind of turned him to a a man um you know on the drink and homeless on the streets yes and he continues his story to say that he whilst wandering the streets and um after first being encountered with batman he sees him again going into the gotham coal depot Mm -hmm. uh, and swinging into action to take on uh johnny zero again Mm -hmm. and is johnny zero is he a um is he a, has he been a regular villain or anything like that, just as aside? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's not one I recognise. It's probably like, if, if he is, it's very, you know, C, D, E level. Okay. <laughs> down, the alpha, down the alphabet there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Batman crashes through. Um, he kind of startles Johnny Zero, but he manages, Johnny Zero manages to um, pull a lever of coal to kind of fall on Batman. And while Batman is trying to regain himself, uh, Johnny Zero grabs a uh, an iron hook uh, on a chain and swings it. Uh, manages to actually lodge it into the the bat um, the cowl um, and dislodges it from from Batman's face. And we see that the the nobody the homeless man had followed Batman. Uh, and he's at the window where Batman turns around and reveals his face uh, with Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and uh, Bruce ducks for cover, taking out Johnny Zero with a well placed batarang. <laughs> Uh, and, repla- and replacing his mask but as you say the, uh, the homeless guy has now seen it and he recognises I knew who you were right away mm. um, you know it's just, it's just, I like the face don't that beat it though Gotham's richest playboy by day the Batman by night so he's, he's letting him know now that he knows he is Batman mm-hmm. um, and but Bruce Wayne tries to put him off he says oh you, you're delirious you're drunk don't be silly you mm. know uh, and he says no 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 you've got to listen what do you think I did with that knowledge that you're Batman mm, yes um, which kind of yeah now we're kind of on edge as to what exactly did happen um, so we see that um, what the nobody does is decides well he was thinking of blackmailing Batman directly but he just knew that would probably end badly with Batman obviously beating him uh, you know in the, in the sense hunting him down uh, mm-hmm. So he goes, decides to go the other way and decides to sell this information to some of the criminals who might be uh, interested in this knowledge. So he goes to, uh, to Max Barr and uh, he's immediately kind of shooed away by a lot of the, the locals there. Um, but uh, one of them, uh, Doc Creasy, decides to listen yeah. to what this man has to say. Yeah, he takes him aside and just says, uh, he says, OK, well, I'll, I'll listen to what you've got to tell me. Um, and he says, "So you know who Batman is? What's it? What you know? What are you expecting for it?" 
and uh, the homeless guy says fifty thousand dollars, a hundred. Yeah, it could be worth it could be worth millions to the Joker, and the guy sort of agrees with him. Yeah, and that um, he says uh, I'm not going to really pay you because you'll just waste that on drink. And uh, he shows his uh, his signature, I guess, signature knives in his inside pockets. Um, and he says, you know, um, you'll give us, you know, you'll give us what we want to hear, and we won't have to pay you anything. And if you do that, we'll let you walk out on your own accord. Otherwise, you'll know why I'm called the Doc. Uh, and the nobody tries desperately to, to get anything. You know, well, you know, how about one thousand dollars? Nope. How about a hundred? Nope. How about even the price of the drink? And Doc Creasy is not hearing any of that. Um, so, yeah, he decides not. He wants to, um, yeah, he, he doesn't want to play ball. Um, yeah. So in response to that, Doc Creasy is basically saying, yeah, just go, you know, dump his body, make it look like an accident. Um, but the homeless guy, last ditch effort really, I suppose, mm. is, what is what he's after, uh, fights back, fights out, and uh, tries to run for it, and gets a knife in his back. For, for his troubles, uh, and they actually say, yeah. uh, "You can't look; like, it won't look like an accident anymore." Oh well. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, stuff, stuff that. Um, thing. Yeah. Just dump his, just dump his body now. And anyway, he's a hobo, so no one will care. So, um, so Creasy gets his henchmen to take away the body, um, and so they just dump him in an alley. And the poor fella is bleeding out. Uh, he's got rats around him, stray dogs, and uh, he says, funnily enough, that it might. It'd been the alcohol, maybe that kept him alive, um, but yeah, he, um, he manages to regain his feet after a few hours. And he, yeah, he starts his he starts his journey back. He sees Batman swinging out as the sort of sun rises, and he makes that decision then that he's he's got to um, redeem himself. There's only one thing he can do really now, and that's and that sort of takes us full circle really to the um, mm. to the start of the issue with him falling out of the alleyway, and he says. Uh, that the Doc Creasy is going to auction off this secret identity uh, that mm. night um, to, to the highest bidder. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Batman goes uh, on his way, fully suited up, and uh, he makes his way towards, uh, in, in a really nice splash page here, uh, you're seeing him in the full costume and in full light, uh, he flies up, um, flung upwards into the sky, and, and he makes his way towards the auction. Yeah, and so then we we actually get uh, a news anchor uh, stating that millionaire Bruce Wayne has actually left the city, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it cuts back to the auction, and all these different people are doing like a teleconference. Really, they're, mm. all, they're all tuning in, and there's, there's the last one uh, introducing to him, "What's up, Doc?" Yeah, uh, and it's none other than the Joker who. Um can never be trust, I guess. Uh, trusted, I guess. Mm. Uh, so he he kind of completes this uh, this auction uh, via conference, um, and so Doc Creasy asks that the bidding be opened, um, and we see outside uh, at the place called the Bright Spot where the auction is being held. Superman is uh, just surveilling the area, and he notices a couple of Joker's lieutenants outside. Yeah, and we find actually quite simply that Doc Creasy is about to get a dose of his own medicine mm. because the Joker says uh, uh, I tell you what I'll take it for free uh, your security yeah. is a little a bit rubbish yeah. here are my henchmen and uh, you, you're going to come with us yep uh, never trust the Joker yeah, don't involve him no. with anything so um, 
so they take uh, Doc Creasy out away um, and they kind of suppress the other people inside the bright spot um, under gunfire and as they get into the car that's when Batman takes his opportunity and starts to assault the uh, the thugs um, and so you know he throws a few flares he throws a few punches um, and it's all on yeah and he, he manages to take a lot of them down and uh, Doc Creasy's about to stab him in the back when uh, one of Joker's goons actually thinks the whole thing's been a setup, and so shoots Doc Creasy in the back mm. And um, again, we get some nice action here. Batman takes on the big thug because he is quite big, it seems. Um, but he yeah. he's got a bit of blood on his uh, mouth. Batman as he gets punched by him, but he just smiles and then he goes to town on the guy and he beats him pretty easily. Uh, when the police arrive, uh, Batman uh, is up on the rooftops, tops again, uh, just looking down on them. And he just thinks to himself, "Well, I actually didn't need to." employ his strategy of uh, he actually had a rubber mask on beneath his cowl so he takes that off uh, wasn't needed at all because Doc Creasy um, unfortunately was killed in the Malay and so the final page is I didn't really mention before but the, 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 the nobody's asked him a simple mm. question of like, so why do you do it Batman and uh, as he asks the question he, he passes away mm. uh, Bruce closes the, closes the eyes and you get a short monologue explaining why Batman feels that he has to be Batman. Yeah. So a, a really, um, towards the end there, Scott, it was a really uh, touching issue, actually. I, I didn't... I guess I wasn't thinking too much about it, what happened to the nobody, but um, the way that um, Brayfogel um, lays it out with the, the nobody passing away, um, and then at, the, at that last page, Batman just high on the top, um, and then it's saying, I do it for the weak... And the scared and the oppressed. I do it for the victims, the innocent, the abused. I do it to try to end the suffering, and I do it for the nobodies. So, uh, yeah, a really, really cracking read here, Scott. Um, first off, why, why did you choose this one? It's it's one of those books. I said it's early nineties. It's, it's when I was getting into comics, mm-hmm. and this was this bat, Shadow of the Bat was one of the the series I started to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, quite later on, a bit later on actually, it was, it was sort of in the 30s, I think, when I started getting it. And I started to get back issues. And when I picked this up, um, I was in my teens, so this this issue I've got, it's still in pretty good condition actually, but I've had it for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, it was, I picked it up quite cheap, and, and it was one of those when you first read it that I think it made me think, um, you know, when you're a kid and when you're younger, and as you, go, as you get a bit older, sort of, you. Batman is is action packed. He's a badass. He, you know, he can do all this stuff. He's amazing. Um, but this was one of the one of those issues, one of those first issues that really made me think about why. Mm. <laughs> you, know, you ask the question. You do. You go. Yeah. Why do you do it? Like you know, there must be easier ways of doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And it was. It's. Um, you know, this question's been asked a number of times, uh, and had slightly variances on the same answer of why does Batman do this. You know, go out every night. But this was the first issue that really, for me, raised that question. And I, I just like the fact that it is, it's, it's held in a one-issue story, mm. and uh, it doesn't end on like a, you know, it's not a, um, a happy ending. It is a, it, it ends on a quite somber note. It does, yeah. Because um, uh, for me, for you know, for Bruce Wayne, Batman, this is a, this is almost like a failure. Yes. You know, on on, on many levels, like he, he couldn't save this nobody. Mm. Um, but there's also so much to it. I mean, the art in it is, is actually really good. I yeah. think it's let down a little bit by by '90s style colouring. Uh-huh, uh-huh. um, 
but there's so many pages where like you say it, that that page that going back where you get the the nobody's backstory mm. you get his origin mm. um, of how things just fell apart for him and it, it's it's so it's really well laid out of just you know yeah. it's it just tragic I, and it, you do feel it like it's yeah I, look I, I tend to agree as well and uh, one of the points like you, you talked about the 90s colouring uh, what I think that this was written in the 90s but I think what works for it is that it like, I don't know, some of the 90s comics um, can tend to be too bogged down with dialogue and text, and it can get can be quite... I mean, I'm reading... Um, I'm actually reading a Scarlet Witch um, series in the 90s. I think it was done by Abnett and Lanning. Mm. There's just so much, actually, dare I say, waffle in it, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of the 90s had that. Um, this one actually ticks along quite nicely, and as you say, with his backstory as well, it's all succinctly done. Um, and it just the, the pacing just keeps on going and so what I think is that it, it um, yeah really helps with the story uh, particularly considering like when I first saw the the ponytail of that blonde yuppie at the first page mm. I was thinking honestly I was thinking to myself oh gosh this is going to be like a long dense 90s comic um, but it wasn't it was good it was um, yeah it was well paced I thought well and I think is, again this is where like you say, you could even reduce the dialogue even further, couldn't you? Mm. Because um, some of the panel layouts and, and the art actually tell the story really well. Mm. I mean, I don't really know much about Norm Brayfogle. I don't know him as a known artist, mm. but, um, you know, it's not all fantastic. It's not all, you know, A-grade a art. Mm. But some of the panel layouts and stuff and the storytelling is really good. Yeah, um, fantastic. And I, 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 like the, I like the fact that the, this homeless guy who has got nothing you know he is, he is a nobody he, he actually has reached the bottom of that barrel as far as he's concerned you know yeah. he's actually facing up to Bruce Wayne the richest man in the city and saying like mm. why do you do this yeah and it makes yeah, it more why, it make, why do you put yourself on the line yeah and, and it makes it all the more okay. tragic as well because he he is a homeless man and he really is looking for a break you know he's got this bit of information mm. so you, you actually empathise for him when he does use it and go to the criminals because you can understand like he's had a he's had a rough trot I mean although he's going against our hero um, we do know that he's obviously approached Bruce anyway we see him at the beginning but he ha he's, he's stooping to those lows because um, yeah he, he really has nothing and um it is. It's quite sad, you know. And and unfortunately, with street level life, um, it doesn't go to plan because you have these um, creeps like Doc Creasy, um, just wanting everything for free. And as you said, funnily enough, the Joker one ups him um, and and gets a better of him. Yeah, and I, I, that's, I mean, there's some stuff in this book that's like, it, like you said, it's nineties. It, it, some of it's a bit, you know, it feels quite nineties in many respects. Mm. But there's also that, you know, there's, there is that layered thing of. You start to realise that actually that the criminal underworld is, is tiered. Mm. You know, yeah, this this guy's at the bottom of this. You know, the he is the homeless guy. He is the sort of the nobody. He goes to Doc Creasy, who, you know, a little bit further up the tree, mm. but the the Joker's at the top, and he actually uses exactly the same intimidation and methods, but on a grander scale. And that's it. So that yeah. you're not the biggest dog in the yard, and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get kicked for it. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's, it's quite interesting to show that, like, you know, and that's why I think this is quite a clever issue in some respect. And mm. the fact of the matter is, though, that the, the, the homes, the, the nobody, he, he doesn't get his answer. Yeah. Yeah. He dies before he gets his answer. We get the answer. We know why Batman does yeah. it. Yeah. It just um, makes it all the more sadder, doesn't it? Yeah. It is. It's that thing he sort of, he, you know, he never gets the answer. Um, 
but I also feel that the, the tone of this, I mean, maybe not as, as, as morbid, but it feels sort of in keeping with almost like Batman the animated series. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have done they could have done something similar to this. Um, and it would have I think if it had been, if this had been a story that they're told in Batman the animated sto- animated series, I think you'd have been looking at you know like a really well known top class episode. Mm. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. You know, on, on par with like Heart of Ice and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, yeah, it's um, just because. Sorry. No, it's just because it's so clever. I mean, there's one thing that I, I find quite interesting is you know he says this thing at the end, and it's I think with with better knowledge of Batman now, he you know he looks remorseful and sad at the end. Mm. He says, "I do it for the weak and the scared and the oppressed. I do it for the victims, the innocent, the abused. Mm-hmm. I do it to try to end the suffering and do it for the nobodies." It's great that, he, that I think that is part of it. I do honestly think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But on the pan, on, on the page, literally the page before that, when he is fighting yeah. with the the thug, uh, and he gets you know Batman gets a great uh, meaty hook to the face. Yeah. When he comes back, he's smiling. Yeah. Like Batman is, is grinning, and so there's always that part of me that thinks you say that you do say you're doing it for the week, but there's a part of you that's a bit masochistic you're yeah. doing this you know yeah. because you you've got to a level of enjoying it and it's it's an interesting study of Batman yeah but look um, it's very you can you can draw the parallels with, with Moon Knight there as well like he mm. in your uh, in your book the other book of uh, issue 4 he says that can I do protect the, the travellers of the night I try to keep them safe so he tries to protect the innocent but he uh, has no compunction to um to, to stop any violence, you know, when, when he when he wants mm. to, so he he punches Doctor Skelton, he slams him against the the desk, you know. There's a level you'd, you'd imagine there's a level of enjoyment as well, and that again just la- adds layers to to him as well as Batman here as well. We see that there's a level of enjoyment that he has in in the I don't know maybe the thrill of it, maybe the um, the physicality of it, but yeah, we see that next page where he is he is um. um he does have empathy for all the people that he yeah. fights. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I put this in. I struggled between there was two. There were two things I really struggled between for this. There were two Batman stories I really wanted to put mm-hmm. in, um, and, and this one went out more because of the nostalgia I have for it, and obviously it, it, it's a, you know, when I was a kid and when I first mm-hmm. read it. Mm-hmm. But there's another. There's another version of this story really um, done by. Uh, oh, I forget now, but it's uh, against Lieber Mayo's art. It's, it's called B- Batman Noel. Okay. It's a it's a, it's a it's a Christmas it's a Christmas Carol <laughs> told via Bat via Batman. Oh wow! Uh, it is it's really it's really good. Uh, and like the Ghost of Christmas Past is um, uh, what do I think now? <laughs> One uh, the Ghost of Christmas Presents is, is Superman, and the Ghost of Christmas. Future is the Joker, and they're not actual ghosts, but they're u- they're used to, in that way, yeah. and it's the story of Joker, uh, and Joker's using this character who is the Bob Cratchit of the story, mm. um, and he's sort of like he then gets used as bait by Batman, uh, who's a nobody. This guy's a nobody. He lives in a really downtrodden, um, crappy apartment with a son, um, and he's doing he's having to take on small like c- courier jobs from the Joker just to make ends meet. Like he's, that's his only option. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he, he makes a box job of it, so he knows that the Joker's coming after him, but he also knows Batman's coming after him. So it's sort of like, what does he do? Yeah. And the end of the story is Joker comes and takes his like kidnap, tries to kidnap his son, and Batman intervenes and, and beats up the Joker as you expect. Mm-hmm. 
but this is an angry joke. Like the reason the point of the story is, is Batman and Scrooge is throughout the story he's been angry. He's so browbeaten and cynical about criminals. He's like, no, they're all just they're all disgusting. They're all you know these nobodies. They just do whatever they can to make money. That's all they care about. Right. Um, and at one point, like Superman says to him, that's easy for you to say <laughs> as, a, as a billionaire. Um, and you think at the end of it, he's about to beat the crap out of this guy, and it cuts to the next panel, and the police have taken away the Joker. Mm. And then you see that that this bet, this um, this nobody, this this Bob Cratchit character, actually now has been offered a job at Wayne Industries, quite a low tier job, but offered as a job as a sort of a porter or something, mm-hmm. as a you know, and has been given that chance to work his way back up. Right. Yeah. And I, I'd like to think that this nobody, this guy, you know, if he hadn't have died, if he'd have got that help. Bruce would have done a similar thing. You know, he would have said, "Well, I can get you a job. I can help you. I can do something oh. else. I don't have to be Batman. I, I can be Bruce Wayne as yeah, well." Yeah, look, I'd have no doubt as well. I mean, like, he certainly did touch. He certainly seemed touched by the guy. And all, although the guy was almost out there to kind of do him no good, you know, by revealing his secret identity, there, there is a level of care that that Batman has for this guy. And it's just a shame that yeah, he did die towards the end. Um, but yeah, it was a no. It was a, it was a fair good. It was a good read. I, I mean, I don't. I haven't read much Batman. Um, I don't know much about Shadow of the Night as well. But yeah, I mean, I have read Nightfall, the first, um, the first book, and that, that was. Mm. I think it's around the same time. Is that like in the nineties sometime? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's when you get. That's when you get sort of like slightly crazy Batman armor plated. Yeah. And, Very nineties. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. <laughs> um, so guns and pouches. Guns and pouches. Guns oh. and pouches. <laughs> Just call Rob Liefeld far out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was a great pick, um, Scott. So this was your mm. second pick um, to take with you to Isla Ra if you are stranded on on that island. Um, very good. Very good. Look, you know, um, we're still here on the rooftop. It's um, it, it's all slight. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we should loiter though. It's getting a bit. Uh, yeah. The sun's going down. This, I think we, we, we don't want to loiter well, in Gotham City after dark. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to bump into Batman as well. So, um, no. <laughs> um, how about look? Um, I know that you said you wouldn't, or I know that I, you know, I'm saying that you shouldn't. But would you be able to um, uh, whisk us away in your with your Beyonder powers, Scott, to our final destination? I can try something. I'll, pull, I'll see what I can pull out the bag. Can we just <laughs> just hold on. All right. Hold on tight. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, this is Dave. And I'm Stu, and we're from the Signal of Doom. We're proud members of the collective, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. <laughs> Okay. Right. So uh, here we go. Here we are. Here we. What do you think? Yeah. This is this is fantastic and um, a very interesting venue that you've taken us to, Scott. But um, I can see the comparisons with the final book that you have mentioned. Um, yep. Oh, yep. As we can see, a few a few familiar characters running around there in the background. Um, yeah. We have your final book here, Scott. Uh, again, it is another DC DC book. Yeah. I mean, it's a Vertigo. Yeah. You know. Is that a vertigo? Yeah, it's a vertigo. It's, it, it's, it's branded as vertigo, but it was originally released as DC. Okay. So. And uh, this actually, this is um, one of the superheroes from DC I really kind of wanted to get into. This is Animal Man. 
Um, and so mm. we have the, the Coyote Gospel. Um, and this is, uh, I've only got the uh, number five um, animal man. Yes. Um, and sorry, Scott, again, may I trouble you for the, the credits for this? Yeah, so this is uh, Animal Man number five, written by Grant Morrison uh, and art by Chaz. I can never pronounce it. Truog? Uh-huh. Truog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and who's that? Hazelwood? Someone else? No. And the art by, yeah, someone Hazelwood. I was trying to look for the first name. Ah. Uh, Doug Hazelwood. Doug Hazelwood. Hazelwood. Art by Doug Hazelwood. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Hang on, actually, before we start here, um, Scott, I see a. You know, so just to paint a picture for you, loonies, we're in some sort of desert here, um, and it seems to be not your typical universe, um, your real desert. It seems almost loony tuny. Um, so, Scott, uh, look, can you pick up that pick up that rock over there? It's yeah, it's not as heavy as it should be, really. Yeah, it's quite light. yeah. yeah. There you go. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's really really funny and. Uh, I can see some dynamite over there. I'm not even worried. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we'll be. I think we're going to be fine. Whatever happens now, it's all it's, good. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so this. Um, when was re- when was this released? This looks like another '90s one, Scott. Just from judging. It's slightly. Yeah, it's slightly earlier. I think it's. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, it could be earlier. Yeah, the, I think it's late '80s. Late. Okay. Because um, I've just got the trade here. Uh, yeah. Here we go. 88. 88, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, and this is a very interesting story here. Um, you'll know why we're here in this desert here, uh, loonies. Um, and uh, again, shall we do a quick rundown, Scott? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's find it soon. Sorry? Do you want to start, yeah. do you want to start the first page? Oh, no, you can kick us off. Okay, yep. so the first page, uh, we start in the, the sweltering desert mm-hmm. uh, on a, uh, a, a highway somewhere in uh, in in a death, death valley, valley yeah. uh, and we focus in, and there's a, a truck coming through uh, with two passengers, uh, a lorry driver, and the hitchhiker that he's picked up, mm-hmm. and they are discussing sort of like how they've got to that point. Uh, we find out that the uh, the hitchhiker, uh, a young woman, she's off to Hollywood to make her name, mm. and uh, the driver saying, uh, "Well, good luck with that. Uh, I'm I'm sort of." Uh, Onto a better path. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been sort of, I've been down that path. I'm showing that I'm sort of like one with God now. I sort of, uh, uh, he's obviously gone down the Christian route. Yes, and um, as they hurtle down the the uh, highway uh, in a sweltering heat, um, they're singing along to some tunes on the radio, and a shadowy creature kind of um, walks in front of their truck. Obviously, with the truck being a big thing, it can't stop in time. Uh, and the lady points it out, but it seems all too late as there's a big brump on, on the uh, on the front of the truck. That's it. So they drive over whatever it is, mm. and they literally say, "What? What was that?" And the driver says, "Don't forget about it. Don't look mm. back. Um, it's keep your eyes on the road and don't look back. It's good advice for life." <laughs> and you find that as that they disappear into the distance. Um, there's a figure that's been turned into roadkill yeah. just lying on the road. Yeah, very uh, very graphic. Um, and we see that the figure's still kind of like alive. And what we see further is that it, actually it is very much alive and it is slowly healing itself. So through a long and slow, painful process, uh, its innards and its broken bones and, and such it kind of re-stitched together. 
and the creature slowly stands up in the under the hot hot sun. And the next page again, single page, single page splash, mm-hmm. uh, title page, the Coyote Gospel, and we find that this is a, it's a, it is a coyote. Mm. It's a coyote. It stood on two legs, and it has around its neck um, a, a tube or something, yeah. sort of, you know, uh, something rolled up. It's got very goggly eyes as well, which was one of the things that sprung mm. out to me. Um, so it had absolutely no idea what was going on here so far. So. Um, so this this creature, uh, this coyote, seems to have reanimated itself. And anyway, that was a year ago, and we we should do today, um, one year later. And it seems again, you might have to help me, Scott, because I'm not too sure of the characters. This is Animal Man here, Billy, um, Buddy. Sorry, yeah, Buddy. Buddy, Buddy Baker. Buddy Baker. That's yeah, him. Baker. And I understand he's obviously Animal Man. He's very in touch with uh, animal animal rights and and preservation. And so he's chucking out all the meats in the fridge. Um, much to the surprise of, is that his uh, his son? His son, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So then, beyond the son, the wife, his wife comes in, mm-hmm. and he says to her, "I'm getting rid of this because all of this is meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's time we went vegetarian." Mm-hmm. And she's uh, a little, a little less than impressed because he's thrown away quite a lot of money's worth of food. Yes. And uh, she says to him, I don't suppose it occurred to you to talk this over with me. Uh, yes, and, and so they have a bit of a uh, they have a bit of an argument um, with Buddy talking about um, just the terrible conditions that animals are in, uh, and and you know such as in the slaughterhouse, uh, turning into groceries, and basically he's had enough. She is not happy as well. Obviously, it costs money to to buy this food, uh, but he goes fine. Take the damn stuff. Just don't expect me home for dinner. So he's very much sticking to his beliefs. Yeah, and we, so, so the next page is, is Animal Man in full costume, soaring across the sky, uh, and he's having a conversation with himself, mm-hmm. thinking, you know, he's, he's probably a bit overreact. He overreacted a little bit, um, but he, he, you know, it's uh, he's, he feels it's getting it's very quiet where he is. He loves it when he's uh, he's flying through the sky. Mm. And uh, and then we kind of cut to uh, a roadside with a uh, with a jeep, and we see the gentleman that we saw at the beginning, um, the truck truckie. Uh, he seems to be laying some dynamite. Uh, he's obviously aged a bit over the year, the one year course. Uh, he has a gun as well, and he's setting up what seems to be a booby trap. Uh, more importantly, though, we get um, we get the purpose of what he's doing in the text, and basically, he wants to kill the devil. Um, yeah, so he, he's had a, bad, a run of bad luck as well. Um, uh, he watched, uh, was that his son, Billy, go under the wheels of a truck? Um, and he, oh, his, his, his best, best friend, his best sorry, friend, his Billy, best yeah. friend, who, who yeah. we, we mentioned at the beginning, uh, he died, uh, brain damage, unrecognisable. He's had a run of bad luck. Um, uh, he's got cancer, oh, uh, his mother had cancer, uh, and he lost her in March. Um, he lost his job. And the, the final straw um, that broke the camel's back was he, he looked in the um, newspaper and unfortunately that lady that he picked up, the hitchhiker, uh, there's something in the article saying that she uh, there was a prostitute slain in a drug raid. So she indeed did turn to drugs and prostitution as he kind of foresaw, um, but that really kind of, um, yeah, was the last straw for him. Yeah. So yeah, he's there, he's, he's, uh, he's been hunting down this devil and... Uh... He finally sees him. He's got the rifle, and he says, uh, "Sweet Jesus, don't let me miss." So he sees whatever this creature was that he he hit. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a year ago, he sees that that there's the sort of like the portent for all his bad luck. Mm. So he takes a, he takes aim, and just as he's about to squeeze the trigger, the uh, the coyote with its goggly eyes sort of turns around and sees it. Yeah, it's very actually quite scary. I thought with the eyes. Um, uh. Anyway, so he shoots uh, in a in a very bloodied panel. He uh, he shoots the coyote straight through the chest, and uh, the coyote makes a slow fall down a crevice. Um, and we get a description of the terrible journey as it falls down. I mean. It uh, it breaks its spine at the outcrop. Uh, the second impact on the sides of the crevice, I guess, crushes its skull, unhitches its jaw, snaps both legs, and we see at the end just as a puff of dust as he as he hits rock bottom, um, basically blind and quadriplegic. Yeah, uh, but the guy at the top still believes it's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to see, he sees it's moving, so he. As it's healing itself at the bottom in great pain, he pushes a rock, a rather large boulder, off the side of the cliff, yeah. and it hurtles down and lands on the, <laughs> the, coy- the coyote creature. And we'll get we'll get to this, but at this point, and and knowing nothing of this issue, Scott, I was thinking this is kind of yeah. getting a little comical, uh, a little reminiscent of something. Yeah. So anyway, this will make sense later on. So anyway, um, we cut to uh, the sky, and um, there's an eagle soaring there, but in the distance we see Animal Man, um, and as he flies closer, it's kind of interspersed with uh, this hunter, this guy, who uh, is chasing down. He goes down the the, um, the mountaintop, whatever you call it, um, and he just wants to make sure that this devil is dead, and he has a magic bullet to do it. Where he reaches the, well, the, the opening panel again, we see Animal Man's coming in uh, to a crossroads, mm-hmm. um, which is clearly over the desert. And the, the guy has seen that the, the creature hasn't died, it's still coming back, it's still uh, healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'd forgotten that he'd placed that dynamite and they'd placed a booby trap. He tries to stop the creature from coming. Yeah. But it's too late. It's too late, and the bomb goes off. Yeah, and that's what finally, I guess, um, catches the attention of Animal Man. Um, that big explosion. Mm. So amidst the dust and the rubble, and and we see the um, the hunter uh, still he survived. Actually, I'm surprised. I thought he would have died, but he um, he somehow survived. Uh, a bit ragged, uh, and as he slowly, gingerly gets up, he sees a horrible sight, and it is the coyote mangled and half burnt and you know amputated and stuff and it's um it's standing there still so it um it, it grows a foot basically as it as it lumbers forward it walks past the hunter who's interesting because uh, animal man has uh, as you say seen the explosion mm-hmm. uh, and comes into comes into land and he is approached whilst investigating by the coyote um, and for some reason the coyote recognizes him as uh, a hero or someone to to communicate with, mm-hmm. and hands him the the curled up the rolled up paper from around his neck, and uh, Animal Man begins to read it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, apparently the Gospel according to Crafty. And uh, then there's there's a, a real kind of um, 180 turn here. Um, in the next page, we are brought into what seems to be a very caricatured. Uh, Looney Tunesy, cartoony sort of world where you know milk is floating in the sky. You've got the crescent moon there. You have the North Pole. Um, you have all sorts of weird and wacky anthropomorphic anthropomorphic characters um, throwing dynamite. You know, just having fun, chasing around. And amidst that, we have Crafty, 
um, and he is the coyote um, in the desert, very similar to Wiley Coyote, and he's chasing something. And and as per the Looney Tunes thing, he uses all sorts of um, weapons to try and catch the Roadrunner, I assume. Um, and anyway, he gets you know typical. He gets blasted. Oh, and he he yeah he gets blasted. But sorry, that was your page. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. it's funny. He does. He gets blasted. Yep. He not only gets blasted. Uh, with the gunpowder, and then the uh, the cannonball falls back mm. and uh, hits him in, hits him in the head. So he takes he takes the full force of that. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he's decided that enough is enough, yes. uh, and he took himself into the desert into a a lone uh, elevator mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and and went up to what he or these these uh, cartoon characters consider to be God. Mm. Uh, and it's a it's a character who sits on a throne with these characters and a paintbrush mm. tipped in red paint. Yeah, very very cool here. Um, I can't wait to discuss this. Uh, so anyway, so Crafty says, um, "Look, I'm happy." Well, this this uh, this godlike figure says, "Well, you got to be punished for um, you know for going against what you're meant to do down in the world." And uh, Crafty says, "Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to bear any punishment as long as it brings peace to this world." Um, so the godlike figure says, well, you're going to have to basically spend an eternity in hell uh, and you're going to have to suffer if you want peace amongst uh, the beasts in this world. Crafty says, yep, all right, let's do it. And uh, with a wave of a, a gigantic paintbrush, Crafty is spun into a vortex or, and then into what looks like an abyss and is awoken um, as the coyote, which we see in the middle of the road right in front of the semi-trailer. Um, right at the beginning of the of the book, and so we get yes, yeah, so we get a sort of a, another thing of like the year he has spent mm. really in the desert, all the pain he has suffered, and the repeated times he has died and come back. Um, and it's it's each time it's overlaid with text explaining it, and you know hoping that he would doing this is is that the god would build a better world, mm. and he's is we see that the coyote is looking on. As, as Ant-Man reads through yeah. this, hopefully, sort of, like, you know, hoping he'll understand. And the final panel, which is a little heartbreaking, is Animal saying, "I'm sorry, I, I, I can't read this. It makes no sense." Absolutely, to me. it was. Uh, God, this kind of floored me as well. Just the look on the coyote's face, hoping that Animal Man will will make sense of, you know, will understand his plight. But as we see mm. the text, it's all gibberish, isn't it? It's crazy. Mm. So anyway. Um, while this is happening, the hunter uh, slowly is regaining his uh, his senses, and he finds himself behind a rock, uh, hidden away from Animal Man and the Coyote. And he has his silver bullet, which um, is described as having been melted down, I guess, from the crucifix that he had hanging on his neck mm-hmm. uh, around his neck. Um, so it being silver, um, I guess it, it is a magic bullet. Um, it will do stuff. Um, so anyway, so he loads up his rifle and he takes aim at who we call Satan, which we now know is a poor, is poor crafty. Um, he's stuck on this world. And with a silver bullet, he, um, he shoots crafty right through the heart. Yeah, and it's almost, the, the next page is almost wordless really mm. sort of uh, crafty sees that you know he's bleeding but he says it's strange there's no pain mm. um, and uh, he, he collapses uh, but bef- you know as the coyote collapses so does uh, the trucker mm. so you know I, I did it I, I say I saved the yeah. world um, and he finally passes out or dies I think yeah I was, I'd like to yeah I was wondering if whether he died I assumed he died 
But anyway, mm. uh, in, in the final page, very touching animal man um, who ha- actually has a very incidental role in this whole issue. Um, mm. He just watches over um, Crafty, who's crying, and he, he's looking at Animal Man, and he slowly, uh, he slowly passes away, and uh, he lies down, uh, crucifix-like, on the crossroads, and as it pans up into the sky, we see the puddle of white underneath Crafty is painted in red, and that comes from the paintbrush of Crafty's god. Um, and yeah, a very uh, uh, Scott, another touching well, one actually. You said, yeah, but you said I mean the thing you said you said the the paintbrush of Crafty's God, but the question is, it, yeah. is it is it just Crafty's God? Cause yeah, he still exists uh, in in this universe. Yep, absolutely as well. And this is this is so cool. This is such a cool thing by Grant Morrison um, because as well, it's very um, be very fourth wall, you know. As well, is is it the yeah. artist? You know. Is it the artist for us, depicted as you know, as the god there? Well, uh, th- this is and to give some context to this issue. I mean, we'll give context to this whole thing. I'm a massive Grant Morrison fan, mm-hmm. um, and you know, for I know he's doing he's doing he's done some amazing works that have you know blown my mind, and he's done some not so great works. Mm-hmm. I, I accept that, but everything he's done, you know. Um, Invisibles, uh, Doom Troll, his Batman run, um, the X Men run, everything. I think I think they're amazing. I'm a really good, even his independent work is really good. Yeah. And uh, so this sort of came about that me reading Animal Man. It was as you said, it's one of those books. I've read all his modern stuff, and I wanted to work backwards. And I did think, well, I'm going to have to go back. I really want to read his first DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I read this, and it's. In the series of books, it's actually quite jarring um, with it being issue five because issues one to four mm-hmm. in themselves they're an, they're an arc they're, they're quite a, they're a quite a closed arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the original intent was that actually there'd just be a mini series. So um, this came about because Karen Berger uh, or Berger um, came over to Britain in the mid eighties mm-hmm. uh, eighty six eighty seven. Uh, following the success of Alan Moore mm-hmm. in his work on like Watchmen and Swamp Thing and all that kind of thing, so he's like, "Oh no, Britain's the place to be. Let's get some more artists and some more mm-hmm. uh, writers." So while she's over here, she actually met with Grant Morrison and also Neil Gaiman. And Neil Gaiman obviously brought his Sandman idea, and uh, Grant Morrison brought this idea for. Um, he brought two ideas actually. He brought this uh, Animal Man. And he brought the idea for uh, Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Well, we're not, we're not giving you Batman. <laughs> not <laughs> happening. Yeah. Uh, but but we like your idea for for Animal Man." And so he yeah. was given the opportunity to do four issues uh, of Animal Man, and he wanted it to be something different, something something you know that hadn't really been seen. Mm-hmm. But you know he wanted to keep it in the context, and he looked at what uh, Alan Moore had done with uh, his early Swamp Thing mm-hmm. uh, series. And so he did it in the first. So the first four issues are very much a story about animal rights, which sort of continues with the series. Yeah. Um, but they're a very self-contained story about animal rights, and especially about uh, uh, in things like the makeup industry and the food industry. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to hit hard on those sort of like you know social commentary moments. And then as he was finishing off issue three, they said to him, "We're loving this. Um, you're going to continue. We want you to carry on." And he didn't have a story. He didn't have any ideas. No. So, in, in a moment of panic, they sort of said, "Well, don't worry, just do what you do. Do go go full bore." Oh, so, great. 
for for all intents and purposes, this is the birth. This issue is the birth of the, the of Grant Morrison. Really, it's it's him. Oh, wow. You know, really, really being let loose because those first issues are good. They are really yeah. good, but they're very they're very. You can tell they're Alan Moore inspired. Okay. Um, and that's sort of and the same thing. Weirdly, and you know, you had uh, was it Rick? Yeah. Um, Fastball Rick yeah. had had did. Um, uh, Sandman Eight. Oh no, that was Dave from the Signal of Doom. Dave. Yeah, yeah. So Dave had so the same a similar thing happened to Grant Morrison. Uh, Grant Morrison to Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. He did seven issues. As, was, was, was the seven issues was to be the Sandman story, mm-hmm. and then he was and then he was told, well actually well, we're going to let you run with it. Go you know do whatever you right. want. You, you, we're loving what you're doing. Yeah. And so that that, that issue eight yeah. that the story with death. Yeah. Uh, was actually a, a breather, a chance for him to breathe. He actually put that together wow. as as a whim, as a whim, um, and to, to allow him to build a story for the for other things. And the, the, like I say, this and that issue eight really stand alone as as they do. I mean, you, yeah, as as closed things for those for you know encapsulating those things because there's so much in this issue yeah. that that Grant Morrison re revisits repeatedly in future works. Yeah, right. Well, I, I think, like, uh, similar, uh, Dave mentioned it on that uh, Isle of Ra as well. He's saying that that was a turning point, really, in, in issue eight. Mm. And uh, I guess you've encapsulated it. Exactly. I mean, that, that makes sense. And um, I'll be interested to read one to four here of Animal Man and to see how this fits in with that, um, knowing now what you had said about the um, Alan Moore influence and such. Um, with, with Animal Man... Um, just for those, i.e. myself, who don't know much about him, is he basically, can he turn into an animal or, or something? Or No? no? Um, can, uh, he, yeah, yeah he's, he's, I think his sort of powers of... Um, the, the reason he took up Animal Man was because he hadn't had a, an ongoing series for decades, mm-hmm. I think. Um, his powers are simply, he can in, he can mimic the powers of any animal. Ah. So he never turns into the animal. But, but they changed that a little bit, I think, in the DC 50, New 52 slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this version, he can he can mimic the power, so he can have the flight of a bird or the speed of a cheetah oh. or the strength of a you know like a silverback gorilla. Oh well, okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, this was hmm. um, quite interesting. I, I did read the, the the forward at the beginning. I've got the um, the trade, um, and it's, hmm. it's mentioned. Uh, Grant Morrison talks about it. He does actually a funny forward saying, you know, I'm I'm writing my own forward. <laughs> you know, I don't have uh, someone, yeah. here. but. Um, yeah, he talked about how Animal Man really likes his animal rights and, and Grant Morrison wanted to incorporate that exactly as you said. But um, we don't get much of him at all apart from the beginning of this book um, where he gets to talk about it a bit with his wife. Um, and I think the the, the strength of this uh, comes in obviously Crafty and, and the tragedy of Crafty as well. But how Crafty's wanting to save his world, and at the same time the truck, the mm. truckie wants to save his world as well. He's got this notion that this is the, the devil, um, and yeah, and uh, I don't know. I think it was. I think it had a lot of um, layers and complexities to it, um, built around a very, again, a very absurd um, notion of someone from a Looney Tunes esque uh, world. Because uh, it, it would be hard to pull off, you know. Um, if you look at it, you go, "Oh, God, this is like kids' stuff," you know. Why, why are we talking about this? But he actually succeeds in making Crafty a very um, uh, likable and uh, a tragic figure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The idea of Crafty is a really sympathetic character in this in this mm. book. I mean, like in this issue, and um, I think, like you say, you know, you see his frustration as being 
the, you know, the coyote in the cartoon world of constantly chasing but constantly being defeated mm. and constantly getting beaten up. And so h- him approaching his God in all capital letters, or his creator, mm. um, and saying, like, you know, right, look, this is madness. We can't keep going on like mm. this. Like, what have, what's got to happen to change this? Yeah. Is actually like the bravery in that to step up and ask that question and say, like you know, what what have I got to do to help? And then to say, well, you're going to have to go through an eternity of suffering, yeah. and, and I will promise to make the world better. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's it's crazy, it's incredible, but he is such a sort of uh, sacrificial character. Yeah, yeah. And um, so you say, obviously, you pick this because you're a big fan of Grant Morrison as well, and and this is the turning mm. point, I guess, as you mentioned from issues one to four. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's um, it's it's a really interesting read. It's a good introduction, I think. I mean, from a first-time reader of Animal Man, uh, it, it is interesting. It is a nice, solid story. Um, but yeah, I don't get too much of, of Animal Man in this. Um, but yeah, I th- no, I, I, I agree. Well, what I would say is though that you get flashes of um, you know, this is actually it's weird. It's a quite an interesting and it's a good. It could actually this this could be a starting point, a jumping on point, weirdly enough, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you get you get a taster of his family life. You know, it gives you a full you know enough enough information to say that he is about animal rights. He wants to become a vegetarian. Yeah. Um, you get a slight glimpse of his. You know, we get enough of a glimpse of his powers, but yeah, it's it, it gives you the, the tone of this again. Uh, the, it, it sort of he hints at it. I mean, he actually says it explicitly in his uh, introduction to this this. The trade, I've got the trade as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says the Coyote Gospel initiated a plot line which uh, was ultimately resolved in Animal Man 26. Okay. So there are bits in this that actually get resolved and picked up later on down the line. That right. This, you know, we, we talk about this thing, the paintbrush, and this character that sat in the chair yeah. um, as, as the artist and stuff. That notion is, is it comes back and again and again. And I don't want to spoil the whole series. Drive, yeah. I highly recommend this this whole oh, one, the first twenty six seasons of, of Animal. I'm going to be reading it. Don't worry. Yeah, uh, yeah they're incredible. Um, but you you get in that twenty six issues, including the sort of like the big, you know, um, the, as it reaches its big climax mm-hmm. uh, that Grant Morrison is building to. There's so many notions and things that he does. He comes back to in things like Final Crisis mm-hmm. in uh, in. Um, the Invisibles, um, and uh, even his Batman run. There are things that are in this issue, and if, in perfectly honest, there was a part. There's a part of me that thinks that actually there is a there's a Grant Morrison continuity in um, DC well, within DC. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That you could take this and everything else he's done within the DC universe, and it exists. In a, and even like from this to his Doom Patrol to um, all the way through to like Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the no, there are notions that come back again and again. The, even in later things down the line, in Final Crisis, it's um, uh, Psycho Pirate that, that he remembers the pre-crisis world, mm-hmm. and that sort of driven him world, and that's a big driving point in Final Crisis. That's actually in this run, right? So the, the the notion of Psycho Pirate being actually um, a, a pin, you know a pivotal character in the DC universe is is in this run. It, it, it comes up again and becomes a really pivotal point in um, Final Crisis. Mm. So it, from 1988 to like 2008, I think that was where that's that, that's like you know a 20 30 year period to show that yeah. that's actually you know that he has been thinking about those things for all that time. Um, yeah. 
is is, is incredible, which is why I think Grant Morrison's so good. And it's all here in this issue. I think that's why it's so yeah. good. And like I say, it's it ends real. it ends with that that the depiction of someone dying on the cross for for their world, which is really touching. Yeah, it's it's very touching. Um, uh, yeah, it, it is. Well, I mean, it's amazing. Um, I mean, just what you're saying now, um, the the level of thought that Grant Morrison brings to it, and and to to tie it all together. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to check out the rest of these issues to to actually see it. Start from one and then go all the way to 26. Yes. I heard. Um, doesn't Jeff Lemire do? Animal Man as well, in some capacity. Yeah, Je- Je- Jeff Lemire did a uh, an animal. He did Animal Man for uh, Fifty Two, the new ah, Fifty Two okay, run. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it's good. It's worth checking yeah, out. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Mm. I mean, um, yeah, I was interested in Animal Man. I mean, um, I'm not sure if you remember Scott. Uh, there was a one season. There was a TV show called Manimal. I don't know if you've ever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, love, yeah. I loved that as a kid, but it was only obviously one season and. I never saw it again. Um, about a man who can turn into any animal, and I've always loved that aspect. Mm. And uh, so it always intrigued me, Animal Man. Um, so I'm glad that you picked this one. It's it's really cool. Um, one of the just the final thing I mean um, that I want to say about uh, this is um, again just the contrast between the cartoon and the real. And and um, Grant Morrison gets really dark here. I mean, it, it opens up at the beginning about um, the guy telling her about you know getting into prostitution and drugs and, and dying of AIDS and, and, and all that and, and we see her later on a year later she, she is uh, slain uh, as a prostitute and, and had you know in a drug raid or something um, it, it gets yeah. quite dark but also the fact that um, bringing crafty into our world you know um, and him suffering and being run over and being pecked away by vultures it's quite graphic and it's quite grisly actually to think I mean yeah uh, so you get that kind of contrast between that and the fact that this crafty is is basically from another cartoon world. It's just it's a very weird dynamic I found, and I found that very um, uh, yeah very effective in the story. Well, it's interesting that there's um, you know in it, it says I'm going to take you to world to the next level, mm. and it, it takes them to like the DC universe, and it's it's where you can suffer. And that's where it's so. Mm. There's a there's a world where there is there is slight pain but regeneration, and we're going to take it to this world where, um, where there is pain and suffering, and you are going to get hurt. Mm. And it's that idea that okay, so there are levels to this, then there are tears through this, and I, I'm, I'm not going to. Um, I'm, I'm t- there's a, there's an issue later on down the line that has a a full pace splash panel, uh, and I, I won't spoil its context because I want you to learn mm. it. But it's Animal Man. All it is is Animal Man, sort of like head and shoulders, and he looks out at us. He's looking out from the panel. He just says, "My God, I can see you." Right. <laughs> and you start, and it's that thing of you start to think like, wait a minute, if this is like, if that was level two, you know, this, if DC Universe is level two, are we are we a level yeah. in yeah, this? Right. You know, like, are we a level like five, six, seven, whatever? Yeah, yeah. And again, like he, re, he you know, he, in multiversity. Mm. Uh, later on, he, again, he, he revisits that with the idea of different, not just different. Uh, Universes, but different realities and stuff on top of each other. Yeah, so, cool. It's a great run. This is a fantastic run. I think you know, is uh, gets overshadowed by some of his other works that are still magnificent. But like you know, Doom Patrol mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the Invisibles get talked about so much. But this, the, the, his his Animal Man run is where he sort of learnt to. 
to walk and run, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like we've had Grant Morrison-related books uh, mentioned a couple of times now, so mm. uh, I do know he's one of the big heavy hitters uh, as, as far as writers go. So, um, like I said, I was impressed with this. Um, it was a really good choice and, uh, and a very good choice, a very good collection, Scott, in general, um, to take with you to Isla Ra or a desert island. So, no, no thank you very much for, um, for selecting those four. No, I'm glad you enjoyed them because let's say it's a difficult choice, and it wasn't just the, the books that I would take. But I didn't want to throw something in that would be, yeah, yeah nah. like I say, a hard slog from like 1964. Yeah. Or like that, so. <laughs> no, no, well, no, it's well, well chosen, and um, and loonies, as mentioned, these will be on links, um, links to them. Um, in the episode summary for you um, so just click on them if you haven't already uh, and pick yourself up a copy definitely try out this animal man I, I'm uh, I think it was I think it's really good very interesting um, and I can see Grant Morrison's um, Grant Morrison's uh, talent in this so very good um, Scott I think we'll have to wrap up now but thank you so much for mm. um, for coming on onto the show it's uh, it's been a blast uh, we've been through yeah it's been a pleasure thanks yeah for no me. worries it's always fun to talk to um people that i think as you said it near towards the beginning people that are really interested in in their stuff you know um uh like these four books are very treasured for you uh they've been eye-openers for me and i hope loonies um out there uh, are going to try them out and they may become fans of you know animal, animal man or pollo <laughs> um uh, it's all it's all very good but thank you so much um we are out here in the desert but before we wrap up i just want to say um there'll also be a link for 20th century geek on um on our episode summary so check that out scott's um podcast uh, and you can contact us um, on itkmoonnight at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and group, facebook.com slash itkmoonnight, or the group, facebook.com slash group slash itkmoonnight. Uh, on Twitter as well, where, I, um, where I've been chatting with Scott, um, at itkmoonnight. Uh, also on Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, just search for Into the Night and Moon Night Podcast. Also on all sorts of uh, podcast catches, so whatever is your um, your poison um just just um look us up there and hopefully we're there we should be on spotify apple podcasts uh, google play all that sort of jazz so yeah check us out um scott thank you again this is beyond a scott um he is a cosmic entity he has um you have your own level to go to scott <laughs> scott so um, yeah, yeah. yeah i have to go reach my own level now <laughs> um so actually scott i was going to ask um you to ascend into the skies but i do hear a truck coming by um how about we hitch a ride on that truck and um and make our way yeah, back i think that's a it sounds like a safe bet let's take this <laughs> excellent um okay well um scott can i do, do you know our sign out sign off by any chance uh no i probably do but it slipped my mind at the no moment. worries uh oh may can't you watch over the denizens of the night Excellent. Well, we'll catch you later, loonies. Uh, Thanks again, Scott. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you later. Thanks very much. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.